Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a Zoom call going on. We've got two real cool professionals sitting on the phone. Whoa, not really on the phone. I guess they're they're sitting on on, uh, on my computer screen. It's kind of weird. <laughs> they're staring at me. I'm too old for this shit. I'm not going to lie. Like To me, this is all Jetsons nonsense. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. How is this real? The video calling is weird for you. <laughs> a little bit. I'm an old man. This, this, this stuff's fucking strange oh boy well hey everyone it's amanda and we have fran and connor on zoom connor's with us. even adjusting his camera to get the best peck angle it's even <laughs> <laughs> it's great that, 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 that lower peck development sir is, is coming along quite well you must be doing a lot of that decline bench i and just could not flies. see myself in my own screen <laughs> i am so sad that i'm actually sitting with my back to the screens because i've got two other screens in front of me based on our discussion tonight we're actually going to be talking about the draft of uh, from the college for the standards of practice that, um, you know, and the, the college was asking for people to weigh in um, and give some feedback on this this particular document. And we saw in Facebook land that a lot of people thought some negative things about it. Um, the four of us really didn't see it as so negative, I guess. And uh, well, I'm not going to lie. I, <laughs> I didn't, I haven't read them yet. I was literally getting there. <laughs> Mark and I haven't read them in entirety. I don't know if Fran has, we'll get to that. And I know Connor hasn't read it in entirety. We've all just skimmed it. So Mark had what this idea. Say, what does it say about us? <laughs> I know, right? by the way. So Mark had this idea that we should get together. Let's get some RMTs together to talk about this and maybe compare the current standard uh, document to this draft and see what we think about it, negatives, positives, um, or if we have little to no opinion, which would be a pretty boring episode. So <laughs> let's hope we have an opinion on this stuff. But, but Connor's pecs look great. Maybe we'll find a, we'll find a way to get a screenshot of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rubbernecking so hard right now, Connor, to see you. <laughs> uh, you can you can't even see them. Brand's not the neck, impressed. Neck up shot only. Not impressed. <laughs> All right. So before we start, uh, let's get these guys introduced. Yeah, themselves. that's what I was going to say. Let's introduce uh, just, you know, hi, what your name is, uh, what type of practice you have, and uh, we'll go from there. So Connor's a repeat guest. So why don't you go first, Connor? Introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name's Connor Collins. I practice 45 minutes outside of Toronto and Ancaster. Uh, a lot of my practice is clinical and sports-based. I deal primarily with concussions and sports injuries. Um, also, on faculty at Mohawk, and I started a podcast after being on this podcast, which is known as the Concast. So uh, thanks for having me back to uh, have this open discussion. Can I ask you a quick question about Mohawk? <laughs> Why are you laughing already? I, I, because Amanda brought it up to me the other day that I feel like Mohawk, they might like us a little bit. Right, we've had some students on. We've had you on. We've had Ron on from Mohawk. We had Vivian we had on. Vivian, yeah. And I, f I feel like Mohawk gave us a little bit of love there. And I feel really, really bad. In a in a previous episode, I had on a dude, and he was in the industry for quite a while. He was in education for quite a while, and he said some not so cool things about Mohawk. And I didn't know anything about Mohawk, so I went on another episode, and I just started repeating what he was saying because I knew nothing about it. It wasn't the most flattering thing I was saying, and I was wondering if like is there real love at mohawk for us or is it imaginary or or i don't know um i don't, like they don't think anyone. anyone at mohawk thinks badly of you too all right <laughs> you want to like us they're not think... a private career college they don't like us no everyone everyone that's <laughs> been on the podcast that i'm aware of has had nothing but positive things to say right on all right i'll take that cool so thank you for introducing yourself sir fran why don't you uh Give us, a, give us a little piece about what's going on. Sure. Uh, 
thanks for having me first, Mark and Amanda. I'm a friend and I'm practicing in Toronto. Uh, mostly sports stuff. Yeah, I've been in Toronto for, for 25 years now working as a therapist. Right on. Yay, we have some experience in this virtual room. I, I think love that's it. what we need. We need, a, we need some experience to, to unpack these things. Yes, definitely. So, Mark, where do we start? I think we should start with some of the bigger pieces here. Um, let's start with some stuff that looks a little newer. Let's start with that first, that second one there, that client-centered care piece. Yes. I don't know. Uh, just by the title, tell me what you guys think about this being a standard of practice. Or maybe we should even define what a standard of practice. Yeah, let's do that. Can you guys, in your words, define what a standard of practice a standard of practice would be? And uh, that would be for all of our folks, potentially in the states, that, where they might not have a governing body in their state, or whatever the case is, or the association that they're with, if there is one, um, maybe is lacking in some of this stuff. Let's just give a definition of how you define standard of practice. Who are we starting with? here. (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess the most simple way, the standards are sort of a guide for all of us and they're there typically to protect the public, right? And so for us in Ontario, we have our standards. They're broken up into two different categories. We have communication and uh, what are they called? Communication, public health standards or something like that. And then we also have technique standards, right? So the technique standards are pretty much outlining uh, the, the, the baseline of performance minimum requirement performance for per, for performing certain techniques and then the communication public sta- public health standards are about everything else all kind of the soft skill stuff make sense i'm following <laughs> all right so let's check out this first one then this client-centered care what does that even mean to you client-centered care and do we need a fucking standard for client-centered care just out of curiosity who wants to take this one I'll, on i'll take this one yeah. all right i don't think it's necessarily a standard i think it's it's a given that we have to have client-centered care. When you put a standard in, just to add to your guys' definition already, um, Amanda, I think you said it's a guide or a guideline. It's really a basic. It's the basic standards of practice. So do we want client-centered care as a basic? No, we have to be way above that for client for client care. So I don't think it deserve, it fits into what a basic standard is. Just for anyone listening, what do you mean when you say we need to be way above that client centered care? I think I think client centered care is the number one thing, right? Everything's mm. about safety and effectiveness. And if we just say it's just a basic standard, I think we're lessening what it should be. Okay, so you view the standards as being like just the like the standards for us then are basically saying this is what your job is. Like this is just. Yes. doing your job. You're not going above and beyond anything. This is the baseline of what you need to do to be safe and effective. Yes. And it yes. has it has multiple purposes, right? So it has the purpose for the therapist to understand what they need to be doing or the baseline of what they need to be doing in any given scenario. Mm-hmm. It also serves the purpose for things like educational institutions and how they put together some of their, their, their programming or their courses. So they're at least meeting the standards. It also serves as the, the comparison for the general public to go and review and take a look to see is the care that they're getting meeting standard and I assume it also is going to be used at the college for things like your entry to practice exams right I mean you're Mm -hmm. going to be marked against the standards that baseline for performance so then if that okay so then if the standard intent that's why I was asking you to define it a little more friend if the standards if the intent of them is to be the basic of what we should be doing then client-centered care is at at least the base level, because as you said, we should be going well above and beyond that, right? Yeah. And and I think once we say there's a base level in that, we're always going to have the lazy therapist or the revolving door therapist, where it's just people in and out, in and out, in and out, and their client care, uh, their client center care is not what it should be. So Mm -hmm. put it in as a standard. If we're calling the standards the minimum level, 
um, that they're testing at school and that we're testing or not testing, but using in our practice, then client care needs to be more than that, in my opinion. So can I read then what this draft says? So there's two, the the top two headings here. Wait, 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 before you do that, sorry, sorry, before you do that, I just have one question then. Do you guys feel the standards of practice should be baseline minimum requirements? Or do you think the standards of practice should be something a little bit of a higher level? I mean, you use the word standard. I think if you were were meeting a standard, to me, that sounds like a bar. It should okay. be baseline. It should be something you're reaching for and not something you're starting at. Hmm. I think if you look at how the majority of colleges set up their standards, they're all quite similar and that you're trying to meet. I mean, the number one thing with, with any college is that the the practitioner that's providing the treatment is doing so in a safe and effective manner yeah. and with the public's best interest in mind. They're not necessarily making the choices um, as per Fran's point as to what that standard is in terms of what we consider within the profession to be uh, maybe better care versus worse care. Right. You know, that's the way that I understand these to be is you know, we're, we're set or the, the college is setting these standards to assume that the people that have an entry to practice are doing so in a safe and effective manner that may or may not translate into, into performance of a particular therapist, I guess. Yeah. And with the, I guess what Fran's point was as well is with the other standards. Okay, fine. If you're being safe and effective, fine. You're, you're, following the standards, fine. But when it comes to something such as client centered care, if that is, of utmost importance, if you're RMT, then I guess making this a, like making a standard out of client-centered care seems to be letting the lazy ones away with only me- meeting the baseline. Was that what you were trying to get at, Fran? And I was just not understanding. <laughs> yeah, um, just to add to it, because yeah, that's that's kind of what I was getting at. If you look at the old standards, and I've got them in front of me as well. Um, the basic glossary of terms says a standard is a description of a minimum level of performance. So if you want to go with that, is the minimum enough? I just, I feel like, you know, we've separated them in, like, like Mark said, communication and techniques. So this fits in neither and it's something different. So now they're revamping the standards. But when you look at it as a minimum level or as uh, Connor said, entrance to practice, does that mean people can be lazy with it? Yeah. And you can't be lazy with something like client-centered care. So what I wanted to do is read the first heading being uh, the registered massage therapist outcome, and then there's the client outcome. So for the RMT outcome, it says the RMT provides treatment that is focused on the best interest and unique needs of each individual client. That sounds very baseline. Like, isn't that what we do? Uh, Client outcome. The client receives safe, effective, and ethical treatment from their RMT that respects the client's unique needs and health goals. This feels more like a tenant for code of ethics than a standard of practice. Can I just say something that I did read uh, somewhere, and I'm not sure exactly where it is. Maybe it was in the email that they sent, but I think that, and maybe the three of you have seen it somewhere as well. I think the intent of these standards was to provide more decision-making on the RMT's part as to uh, help sort of, I don't know what the word would be, like dictate their own treatment plan based on the standard rather than a points-based system that that the old standards were made. The concept is that they're they're moving to being less prescriptive Mm -hmm. and therefore allowing the RMT more freedom to make clinical decisions. Yes. So I think think we should maybe keep that in mind as we're reading through this. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Everyone's just quiet. Are you all reading? Uh, no, I was, I was waiting for you. <laughs> We're waiting for you, Amanda. Yeah. Why me? Oh, You're boy. You're the one that's guiding the process. That's right. Did you guys see that Zoom presentation of a bunch of actors doing a read for Fast Times at Ridgemount High? Are you calling me Morgan Freeman? <laughs> <laughs> and Morgan Freeman was reading all of the all of the director cut pieces. Oh, no. <laughs> that's, that's you right now, Morgan Freeman. Oh, boy. Okay, so if that's the case, if we're going to go more down that path where we're looking at how this draft is possibly making us less prescriptive, then maybe instead of reading each individual one, we should look at some of the new additions and see, is this meeting that goal, yay or nay? Because I did see something on Facebook where, and again, I just sort of glanced over it, but I saw something about... Um, conferring with other health professionals when it comes to creating a treatment plan and making sure that the treatment plan aligns with right, okay. the other professionals. Is that being more or less prescriptive of us? So I think maybe we should try to look at these that to way. To see if they're they're actually doing what they're... Okay. Yeah, because okay, if yeah. I'm going to read all okay, ooh, well, just, 18 points okay, on this... Well, well, can, you, can you start with the requirements on this? Because I, I have a feeling that we're going to see this informed consent thing. I think, I think Fran already might have said that before. I'm not quite sure. Or maybe I read that somewhere else that this informed consent piece ends up and I haven't seen it because I haven't looked yet ends up being in so many of these standards repeated over and over and over again. Yeah. So in the client centered care one that I just had open but closed, the very first point is to obtain the client's informed consent in accordance with the standard of practice consent. So the whole first piece of this is about consent. And then, of course, there's an actual draft for the standard for consent. So is that what you want me to open up? Yeah, so I guess we can go down that path. So this particular standard, when we start to look at it, it's it's just kind of giving the basic idea of everything that an RMT should be doing, right? So the first piece is performing informed consent. The next piece is making sure that they're, they're obtaining written consent for the sensitive areas. The next piece is uh, developing a treatment plan based on performing assessments, subjective and objective information, making sure that your treatment plan is falling within scope of practice. It also goes through the idea, if you have dual registration, how to conduct yourself when you hold more than one registration to a regulatory body. Is there anything else in this standard that looks... I mean, to me, it kind of seems like it's sort of a summary of everything, which yeah. I don't necessarily think is a bad thing, really. I mean, if you could kind of pull this up as like a quick checklist before you get into reading the specificity of some of these other things. I don't think that's necessarily bad, but it seems as though like it's kind of taking you through the process from mm -hmm. sort of stage one patient interaction all the way through to, you know, it's talking about at the end discontinuing massage therapy and, and all that type of stuff. So I, I feel like this is kind of a, an overview of everything yeah. that we would do in the context of a, a patient visit. Yeah. I was just noticing that too. It's, it's like a, it's like a summary of the communication public uh, health standards from the first one. And I was just kind of skimming through the top part to see if it actually labeled it. Maybe it's not about the minimum requirements or the base standard anymore. Maybe that's not going to be the introductory anymore. Right? That's what it is in the old standard. So maybe they're going a different route. But it does look like a, um, a summary that I noticed as well as, as Connor was saying. I like this, though. I, I, I've, got, I've got no problem with this so far. I mean, I feel it, it is kind of misplaced as a standard. Um, again, if we're going by that definition, but I have no problem with anything that's written here so far. I've just skimmed it, but it's straightforward. Yeah. yeah. So in this about the, the draft standards of practice section, I was just kind of skimming through this as well. Most of the things we have already said, but there is a point down here. Uh, RMTs may apply slash implement the standards in a way that is appropriate for their practice as long as they first meet all the minimum requirements outlined in each standard of practice. 
So that goes back to we're just expecting everyone to meet at least the minimum requirements in each one. But then it seems like we've got an entire step by step checklist on what to do. I know it's kind of it's kind of, <laughs> it's, it's, it's strange. We're being uh, less prescriptive by being more prescriptive. Yeah. I don't know. That's how I feel at a quick it's interesting. glance. All right, yeah. let's let's unfold another one because this one is very kind of reviewy, like you guys said. Where do you want me to go now? Um, let's go to something that let's let's just hit it in order. Like we skipped over the acupuncture one because that's very very specific. So let's let's kind of hit it back in I the order. I think this collaboration professional relationships That's just my... what I opened. Yeah. All right. I think this is the one Amanda that you were maybe Yes. Yeah, yes. talking about um, under requirements here. Yeah, so under the requirements it says when working in collaboration with other healthcare professionals and others involved in a client's care, the RMT must first take reasonable steps to ensure every client's massage therapy treatment plan aligns with the treatment plans of other healthcare professionals. And I think the debate there was well, why is this, I guess, quote, our job? Like, why do we have to make sure we're aligned with other professionals versus other professionals making sure they're aligned with us? Like, do they have a similar standard when it comes to collaboration? And I don't know, what do you guys think about that? Does this sound like we're being told to listen to other people or are we being told how to how to play nice in the schoolyard? That seemed to be what people were kind of upset about based on what I read. Yeah, I read the same post and, and uh I didn't read this standard the same way. To me, take reasonable steps to ensure that every treatment plan aligns with. We kind of do that already, in my opinion. If I'm working, yeah. I'm not working in a, in a multidisciplinary clinic, but if I am, I'm having a conversation. Right? Absolutely. And so when the, po- the Facebook post went a little crazy on that, um, I understand where they could get that from, but my interpretation was not that at all. It was like, let's just say we're all on the same page. And like you said, play nice in the in the playground. Yeah, I took it that way as well. I took it that way as well. Um, and again, it's if their intent is to, you know, allow us to make our own decisions, this is just saying at a minimum, make sure that you're actually paying attention to what other healthcare this client is receiving. And we do that already. It's right on our health history forms. Are you receiving treatment from any other healthcare practitioner? And we want to know that information. And it doesn't mean if they're getting treatment from a chiropractor or a physiotherapist in another clinic that we necessarily have to, you know, have regular conversations with them and we have to find out what their clinical impression was. It just means be mindful of what other treatment they're getting. And maybe even it could it could be as basic as finding out from that client, what exercises did your physio exactly. give you? What are you doing? You know, just making sure that all of the care that we're giving them aligns with what they're already getting and we're not all contradicting each other because that doesn't speak well for anyone. It's the everyone's egos again needing to maybe just take a step back and realize we're all working for the same end goal, which is to take care of our patients and clients. And I think that's all they mean by it is to make sure that, okay, well, the treat, it's, it, I think a lot of people took this the wrong way and took it that, okay, we have to sit back and let the other regulated healthcare professional create the treatment plan. And therefore we just blindly go along with that treatment plan. Therefore it's ensuring that our treatment plan aligns with theirs versus just looking at the overall goal for that patient and maybe understanding that there's many different approaches, different methodology to get to the same goal. But having that same goal is, in in fact, aligning the the treatment plan. Now, I've also seen someone debate this in a whole different way, kind of defending the idea that maybe massage therapists shouldn't be the ones creating treatment plans. So it was it was looking at what do we learn in school and the idea of if, if, if what we're learning in school is how we're supposed to be performing at a baseline level. Well, we only learn so much information in school. And therefore, if a physio, for example, knows something a little bit more in this area or a chiro knows something a little bit more 
more in this area and they have the formal education in that, not a continuing education, but a formal education as part of the curriculum, that RMT was suggesting, hey, maybe we should check our egos and take a backseat to that. So that's a completely different way to even look at that, that I would have not thought of if I didn't read that the other day. No, I would have never thought that, especially after reading these other points, just saying, you know, documenting the collaboration and allowing the the other healthcare professional access to your notes. And, and that's just straight off circle of care. Exactly. Stuff. So I'm looking at it more as collaboration, not that we have to take a backseat, not, not that somebody else has to develop the treatment plan. It's just making sure that we're not trying to always be the captain. I don't know. Yeah, I think that and to your point, Mark, I think that does happen anyway as well, right? Like, if I feel that you're more confident in a particular area, I'll just hand it over to you and vice versa. And whether that is, I think one thing that we often get um, caught up in is the idea of different professional certifications rather than therapists. And Mm -hmm. in saying that, you know, a physio is equipped to do this, a chiro is equipped to do this, and a massage therapist is equipped to do this. But so many people have such a diverse set of training and skills these days that often a physio can manage a patient in totality or a chiro can or a massage therapist can. Um, And then, yeah, I'm not really sure as to this first point, how it got misconstrued and, and sort of taken in the way that um, we would have to take guidance from other healthcare professionals. I see it as just the way that it is now. We're all part of a circle of care. If I feel like something's outside of my scope, then I refer appropriately for the overall safety of the patient, as well as, you know, defining what my skill set is. And, I, you know, I really don't see a problem with that. Um, and I don't think that this makes our skill set any more restrictive um, in in doing so. I think that it's, yeah, there's nothing, nothing particularly wrong with that. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And again, I was only sort of skimming. I don't know if that was the general consensus on that particular post. I don't know, maybe Fran knows a little bit more. I just kind of saw a few, a few people chiming in and it seemed almost like they felt like, well, why do we have to listen to other professionals? And I thought, you know, I, I don't know if that's what it says. And now that I'm really reading it, I don't think that's what it says at all. Yeah. Definitely not. But I also think it would do us all some service to listen to everybody that's involved in the circle of care of our patients. 100%. You know, if, if we're not doing that, I think that's when problems can certainly arise. Where to next? Um, Let's check. Let's check out the next one, because there is like, let's look at the standards for things that don't have a standard already or the titles different or whatever the case is. So let's check out this one, this communication one. The RMT... Outcome, the registered massage therapist clearly provides the client with the information required to make informed decisions about their health and communicate in a professional manner. The client outcome, the client receives the information needed to make an informed decision about their massage therapy treatment and be given opportunity to ask questions of their RMT. It sounds like consent all over again. Yeah, this is this is pretty much a <laughs> consent standard. This looks like the original consent standard, at least the majority of the the, the requirements here. Yeah, yeah. the very for all of the first points are the consent standard using effective communication, plain language, active listening, adapting communication according to the client's understanding and needs, ensuring all forms of communication are respectful, ethical, and professional, and that client privacy and confidentiality is maintained at all times. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I don't I don't see any issues with this one bit. Fran, what do you think? It's a little redundant. Yeah, it's but... pretty much the same as the consent one. The only thing, it may come up later, like, that I've, like you guys said at the beginning, I've skimmed through some of this. 
Um, but some of consent, like there's another section on the draft called consent. So it'll be interesting to see how that's different from the communication standard. Yeah. Well, there's one in between conflict of interest. So let's open that up since that's what we're doing. Avoiding any potential real or perceived personal or financial conflict of interest. They already have a conflict of interest document that, that, that goes over four different points about things like fee sharing and referrals and and rent-based ag- agreements and all that kind of stuff. Like they already have a policy on on this, but mm-hmm. maybe they've decided to make this a standard of practice. Now. That's what it looks like because there's a fee sharing in there as well. Yeah, okay. So let's unpack that if we can, Amanda. That'd be great. All right, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to actually read with the report? Yeah, yeah, the- yeah. Okay, so... Uh, I already said what the RMT outcome was. Yes, the RMT avoids any potential real or perceived uh, conflicts. If the conflict of interest cannot be avoided, it must be managed and disclosed to the client. And the client outcome, the client receives treatment that is solely in the best interest of the client and not compromised by any potential real or perceived personal or financial interest. So some of the points here, the RMT must not practice while in a conflict of interest, including but not limited to providing a receiving monetary or other benefit for referring a client. So again, that referral fee business that's already in a document recommending a product or service in which the RMT has personal or financial interest, sharing professional revenue fees or income with someone who is not a regulated health professional in Ontario, unless the fee sharing is done in accordance with a written agreement stating that the RMT maintains responsibility for all professional aspects of their practice. That is actually really interesting to me. And I bring this up a lot. We have a record keeping course and part of the record keeping course, it's not just about patient records. Everyone thinks about patient records. It's really about anything that you'd have to write down or document or some sort of form you'd have to create or agreement, anything you'd have to write down as an RMT, we talk about it. And I throw this in there talking about the fee sharing because I don't think that it's written, though it can be used in a way that I think it wasn't intended. And it feels like it's intended for employment situations because a lot of our massage therapists work on some sort of split. They share the fee, right? Mm -hmm. $100 for massage therapy treatment and then the therapist gets 70% and the clinic owner gets 30%. We share the fee. And it's saying that there's a conflict of interest in the conflict of interest document. Maybe I didn't hear you read this properly because I'm just thinking about the conflict of interest document. That it would be considered a conflict of interest to fee share with someone who's not subject to the RHPA unless there's a written agreement that says the massage therapist maintains all the professional aspects of the practice, like decision-making, billing, record exactly keeping. what it says That's here. That's exactly yep. what it says. If we look at the standard, and I'm going to use this in a way that right now it, it wasn't, I doubt it was intended to. This is, un, this is intended to describe employment situations and yes. say, yes, you can share fees with someone who's not subject to the RHPA, provided that there's a written agreement. Or they, if they are subject to the RHPA, then it's absolutely fine. There's no conflict of interest. Well, I'm going to take it two steps further, but I'm I'm still going to go within the guidelines of this. I'm in Toronto. Connor's in Ancaster. And I say, hey, bud, I'm going to send you some people. What do you charge? You charge 100 bucks? Cool. Let's share the fee on that. And we're both regulated healthcare professionals under the RHPA, which makes this not a conflict of interest. But when we do it and say it like that, and I'm still within the standard, it feels very dirty. And it feels like I am in conflict of interest, doesn't it? Right. But I'm saying if you couple it with number one, providing or receiving a monetary or other benefit for referring a client to it. or from another person or business. I get it. So it i don't i don't see how you can but the the thing about that. number 3 is this the first line says someone who is not a regulated profession so this example doesn't really work because in the well, in your example unless both. unless the fee sharing is done in accordance to a written agreement so this is the way that i read that is 
I'm a clinic owner and I am just a businessman. Yes. And you are an RMT. Yeah. And fee sharing can't occur then unless you assume all of the liability and the risk in signing yes. that, con- that contract. So what I've what I've done, Connor, is I've added in the piece from the conflict of interest document that is not in the standard here. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's the piece that I've thrown in here. So are we saying then this takes over? Or are we confused because this feels very much like the conflict of interest document and this has got some pieces on it that's missing compared to the conflict of interest document. So does this, which one, which one trumps the other? Well, if I this would actually, think that if this is made a standard, it probably ends up trumping it. Yes. Yes. If this, mm. if this draft actually becomes the standard, which let's be honest, it will, then this will trump that document. Interesting. So that other document's probably going to go, go away somewhere, disappear. At least it should then, because that creates tons of confusion. Yeah, you confu- you confuse me and I'm sitting in the room with you. So. <laughs> cool. Because I just, I, I pulled in pieces from that because I'm very, very familiar with that conflict of interest document. So I pulled in pieces from that that are not necessarily part of the standard. Interesting though. I'm, 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 I'm curious to see how that one unfolds to see if, if this stays the way it does what what is it going to do to the other document? I know we're not talking about this, but I know that you also add into the record keeping course that term of um, not acting unbecoming of an RMT. So, I mean, if you are twisting and turning words in a conflict of interest document yeah, okay. in the standards of practice, I'm pretty sure you are acting unbecoming of an RMT. It's not even just that. You got, Have you guys read the, the Code of Ethics document? There's a one piece at the end of the Code of Ethics document, the very last tenant of the fourth principle. I'm going to read it to you because it's, I'm going to first pull it up and I'm going to read it to you because it, to me it scares the hell out of me. I don't like what it says. I don't like what it does. Let me pull that up for you guys really quick. It gives the college so much control that we don't even realize the amount of control it gives. Hold on, let me see. I have it open if you want. Yeah, just, you know, read that very, very, very last point of principle number four. So point point O. Do not justify unethical behavior by rationalizing that such behavior is not explicitly articulated in this document or other legislation or regulation. (sighs) Boom, Mark. That's crazy to me. That's crazy to me. In other words, if the college feels that you are acting unethically, even if any document, college document, any legislation, any bylaw, any policy, any position statement, and it doesn't explicitly say you can or cannot do this, they can always turn around and say you can't hide behind it's not written in a document. You know, they to have to put that, that there, though, because there are people like you in the world that are always going to find yeah, the loopholes. They're holes. called lawyers. <laughs> they're called lawyers. So that has to be there. And again, it's we, scary it, as it's, fuck, it's only though. scary if we think the college is completely fucking unreasonable. I don't know. Some people do think the college is unreasonable. It's scary as hell. It's a little scary. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, it's like that piece in, in, in the Massage Therapy Act under misconduct, right? Under misconduct in the Massage Therapy Act, they have a section called miscellaneous. And in miscellaneous, they have one, one thing that describes unbecoming. You can be held for professional misconduct or charged under the college for professional misconduct for quote unquote unbecoming behavior. Well, what the fuck is unbecoming behavior? That's left up to a panel made up of your peers and some public members during the discipline hearing to determine are you are you acting unbecoming? It's it's freaking scary to me. 
we had a, we had a we had a lawyer on our podcast, and and she specifically deals with regulatory bodies and members, and whenever there's disciplinary action, and uh, she brought up a, a case that she knew of where a medical doctor got charged for professional misconduct by the College of Physicians and Surgeons in Ontario for getting into a physical and verbal altercation with somebody else at like a soccer game on a weekend. And he got dinged for misconduct from his college for unbecoming behavior, unbecoming. And I was like, that's fucking crazy to me. That's not crazy to you. It's not crazy to you guys. You're supposed to be professional on and off. Exactly. So I, I brought it up to her and she, she thought I was nuts for it, but I thought it made a lot more sense than the doctor getting into physical and verbal altercation. I said, what about if I go to a strip joint? She's like, what do you mean if you go to a strip joint? I said, I deal with disrobed bodies all day long and now I'm going to go to a strip joint to a place that sexualizes disrobed bodies. You don't think that could be unbecoming behavior? And you know why she thought it was a ridiculous example? Why? Doctors do no harm. You are still a human man. You're allowed to have sexual desires and engage in sexual activity outside of your job. It doesn't mean that because you deal with disrobed bodies, you can never sexualize a disrobed body. You're not a member of the clergy. It's totally but in different. in particular case, was it the physical altercation that was really being sort of discussed or... I guess to be honest with you, I I don't I don't I don't know too much about it. I mean, it could have been the physical altercation. It could have been the location in in a, in a public athletic type of environment. I don't I don't know what, what the deal was exactly, but to me, it was just a little a little freaking scary. Well, again, without knowing the details, it could be. And again, I I only think this is scary if we believe that the college is completely unreasonable and would look at something like you going to a strip club and say, well, that's no, unbecoming. No, it's the, the scary part uh, it's that that's not the scary part to me the scary part to me is this is there it is in the law and if you were to bring this up to most rmts they would be like huh what are you talking about like that's the more scary part to me is that so many people don't realize the amount of control that exists with the college or any of the regulatory bodies it's insane i mean it's cool Sort of, I guess, if cool's the right, the right word for it. We might have it's different nuts. definitions right, of cool. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, do you guys want to talk about the consent draft? Is it any different than anything else that we've oh, seen so far? I don't know. I didn't read it. I just I should have put it. this as my strive. We could have completed <laughs> I, I don't uh, Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go and put, change this in. <laughs> so my goals, right? Where's now. the old consent standard? Should we, should we see how much is actually, yeah. Number seven. Should we see, I mean, it's written differently. So, but I guess let's see if it says roughly the same thing. So the RMT outcome in the new draft is the RMT obtains informed consent from clients or their substitute decision makers. Is that in the original about the substitute decision makers? Prior to and throughout assessment and treatment. Um, Task, obtain the client's consent to perform the assessment reassessment. Uh, does it say anything about substitute decision makers? Uh, I'm not seeing anything of that yet. So no. Oh, well, no, wait, it is yeah, it in the, right the at the bottom. Line. Yep. In the event of finding of incapacity or the need for a substitute decision maker, refer to the current legislation and college policies. All right. So someone just reworded all this stuff. Yep. Uh, the client outcome for the consent. The client receives the information they need to make an informed decision about their massage therapy treatment and is given the 
opportunity to ask questions to their RMT. Assessment and or treatment only begins after the client has given the RMT consent. The client is aware they can withdraw their consent at any time. Um, so that's pretty redundant to what we have read. And does it... Talks about the sensitive areas. Can I ask you guys a question? I know I, I, I like to hear everyone's opinion on the whole sensitive area thing. And I'll tell you a quick story. We know we know someone that went to get a a she was at a spa. She was it was a one time thing at a spa, and she was there with a group of a group of her friends. And apparently, everyone in that group, um, these this three group of girls, they all wanted kind of the same type. They of They all worked together. They wanted Head, a neck, yeah. They all went in there with neck pain. And so the therapist, the male therapist, tells one of the one of the the clients. Here's the form, the sensitive areas form. I need you to sign it here for gluteal treatments. Not what this person's requesting part of the body at all, right? So this person just, okay, well, I don't know what's going on. I, I think I should sign it. Signs it. And apparently the massage therapist proceeded to spend one hour on gluteals. Yeah. And I mean, the client had didn't have a lot of experience with massage therapy, so didn't say anything. Uh, this story came to me like through the grapevine, like three years after it happened. And I was like, whoa, like absolutely misusing the sensitive areas form just so he could be a creep and touch her glutes for an hour. But um, yeah, I guess what was the question, Mark? You want to know everyone's thoughts yeah, on the sensitive to, area yeah, form? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know why I decided to get that story out first, but yeah. Yeah, I think that this this is the one that sort of creates the sort of polar opposites of, of whether people uh, agree with the sensitive areas consent or don't for a couple of reasons. Obviously, there seems to be a lot of still cases where therapists are taking advantage of patients across all facets of medicine. And mm -hmm. we seem to be, uh, unfortunately, one of the larger groups of professionals um, that have a lot of those cases against us. So certainly, I think the college's uh, goal is to try and minimize that. And then the flip side of that uh, argument that's being made uh, is, does that allow sort of therapists uh, that might already have, I don't even know what the word is, but maybe not um, abiding by the standards of practice already, some leeway into what you just said, where they're kind of doing things that they shouldn't be doing mm -hmm. and, and sort of giving people the right to take advantage of people. Mm -hmm. And so I could see, I could see both sides of it. Um, I know what the college's intent is, which obviously I, I agree wholeheartedly with what they're trying to do. I don't know what whether there's been success in implementing this or not, I would be curious to know at large yeah. whether they've had success with this because everybody's got their own sort of personal opinion about it, drawing from their own personal experiences, which is, you know, everybody's going to have a different opinion based on their own experiences. And I recognize both sides. Uh, what I would love to know is whether the college has some, maybe some objective data that they're following in terms mm -hmm. of cases per year or something like that. And whether they've seen a decrease in that, I think that that would be interesting to follow, but I certainly see both sides of the coin there. Mm -hmm. What do you think? And I'm not, and I'm not, I'm going to continue to just sit on the fence. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's, that's what's holding the fence up, man. <laughs> Well, I want to get force. I want to get Fran's input on this because it seems like when this form comes up, we're very often talking to male therapists. As a female therapist, what are your thoughts on the sensitive areas? Well, form? and I'll just sort of add one thing to that: is I uh, 
I, in my practice, don't do breast massage. So I would refer to uh, a therapist that I would feel would be more appropriate to deal with those cases anyway. So All right. So I think I, I'm kind of on the same line as Connor, whereas I see both sides that are always being discussed. This has came out three years ago. My bigger issue is that putting a piece of paper in front of somebody and saying, sign this because I have to sign it because it's sensitive area and that's a new rule. And I can go out on a limb and say in the last three years, every massage I've had, I would say 90% of them, that's what they do. So there is no communication about separately about why they need to do glutes or why they need to do the chest wall. Right. Um, and I think the communication is a big part of it because a lot of therapists don't have, and this is a whole other topic. They don't have the ability to explain things because people just want their massage and they're letting the client mm. control the massage. Like, I just want to get on the table. Sure, I'll sign anything. And so I think a lot of therapists aren't doing the proper communication, whether they get a signature or not, is kind of the secondary issue. Um, but I definitely, like I said, I see both sides of what may come from it. Uh, and I see the purpose of it. It definitely, something needed to be done. You know, mm. Under the RHPA, something needed to be done. And this was the college's take on it. So I get it. I think it just has to be done correctly to have the best effect. Well, you hit the nail on the head. Um, we're there are definitely therapists that are, um, I guess, not even obtaining proper informed consent. Then, because that form shouldn't just be shoved at you along with the health history mm -hmm. saying, "Here, sign this." It should be a discussion. And once you have sort of determined what type of treatment plan is needed, that's when the form comes up. And it's okay, you know, it's if it's indicated that we have to do uh, work to the chest wall or the gluteals, then that's when the form would come up and it would have already been explained to your client. This is why, you know, this is what we need to do. And I just need to obtain additional consent for the treatment of the sensitive areas in the treatment plan that you've already discussed. But if the RMT is just giving them this piece of paper here, sign this, and they have no idea what they're signing. The, the girl who told me that story about going to the spa three years ago said they didn't even know what glutes were. Like, you know, it was just, just sign this. here, just sign this. So I need, I mean, I know it says on the form in brackets, buttocks, but she may not have even looked at the form. It was just, I need to do work on your gluteals. Sign this. Well, is that, is that a buyer beware moment? I'm just going to play devil's advocate. Is that a buyer beware moment? Yeah, if I don't know what this fucking thing is, maybe I should ask before I sign it. Well, when you are the RMT, I'm you're also asking. in a position of power. The client is vulnerable and they're in your hands. They're putting their health in your hands. And you're supposed to be this trustworthy person with a, a license to practice. So just being the devil on the shoulder. I know you are. And I'm <sighs> always going to be the other devil because I'm definitely not an angel. Do you guys have a problem with the with the areas? I'm, I'm curious to know. I wish I was a fly on wall on the wall for council meeting when this came up and for them to determine which of these areas which areas we're saying are sensitive areas like why why is anterior chest wall a sensitive area and not my lower abdomen well, i don't know i'm just asking yeah uh, that's always been a little bit confusing to me i think for the the breast massage and the gluteal stuff it's been uh, there have been more discussions around special consent for those areas for a longer period of time. So well, when yeah, and on top of that, sorry, I'll just jump in really quick. On top of that, this used to be a position statement, right? So this never was college policy before. And a position statement is this isn't necessarily policy, but this is the this is the opinion of the college about certain things because we've been asked about it enough. We better fucking just put something out there. So yeah, continue on that though. Sorry. Uh, yeah, and and then uh, with the chest wall and the upper inner thigh came out. And I was confused as to why abdomen wouldn't be put in uh, there along with that, I yeah. guess. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really, I've always been a little bit confused about that. Um, 
maybe even like anatomical boundaries would have been. Yes. 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 Worth, that's the yeah. next thing. worth discussing because, you know, chest wall can mean a number of different things to a number of different people as can the inner thigh. Like what is the boundary? Is it, you know, half the distance from the femur medially or, you know, something, mm. some sort of guidance, because I know that that is also a very common discussion when this comes up in certain groups is what does that mean? Everybody's got a different interpretation of it. Um, or is, should that just be left up to the therapist and allow them to make their yeah, own clinical that's what decision? I was just gonna ask, do you guys think that's a good thing that it's just left over to the therapist or do you think that it should have been more? Not with defined? that, not with that form. I think maybe clearer definitions would, would be a better idea. Hmm. If I can just uh, jump in here, there is a little bit of a, a clause about anterior pelvic area and it's under the, uh, the sensitive area. It goes under clinical indications for treatment of upper inner thigh and anterior pelvic slash growing because anything you know rectus abdominis you want to get at it it's right off the pubic bone right so there is a yep. clause in there it's not on the sensitive area signed document but there actually is a clause in the uh the standard number 12 is that standard number 12 because i i honestly i haven't looked at it since it first came out and when it first came out it was this massively long document that also included indications for treating these areas in other words the college was saying if you don't see anything on this list then you should not be in these areas is that still there or it's no? still there but is that an interpretation you shouldn't be there or is that is that mm. actually what it says right because we all interpret things differently Right. I got to look that up. I don't remember anymore. It says there must be clinical indication for treatment of a sensitive area that fits into the scope of practice of massage therapy. And you have to provide the client with an option, a treatment plan option where the sensitive area can be avoided. So this is the current stand. Oh, this is the this draft. Is, this is, no, this is the old one. No, this is the old one. Okay, okay, okay. We're getting all confused here. We need to say old or new. <laughs> if, if I can just like jump in, you guys are asking about what we thought of um, the areas and are they actually sensitive? Mm -hmm. I want to go one step further. When I do a head, neck, and shoulder massage, am I not always hitting the upper chest because my effleurage goes there? Absolutely. This is, okay, so I was going to say this and I actually like bit my tongue for a second. So I'm like, am I going to sound so dumb? No. But I literally think this and almost get every client to sign for chest wall because I'm like, can it be argued that immediately if I'm below the clavicle, like it's chest that wall? Would, that would be considered anterior chest wall. Yeah, so it's... Just the anterior leg massage. And posterior leg massage, you do effleurage and you're hitting the inner thigh right. high up, right? I don't know if you can have anatomical actual landmarks because everybody's upper chest wall is a little bit different because women with bigger breasts, their chest wall is going to be a different place than somebody with, with a smaller breast size, right? And so same with the leg, like how high up you're going to go, it depends. Are they wearing boxers? You can't drape that high. So is it upper groin? Is like what's groin? So I think it's really hard anatomically to actually say two inches before the cloud or below the clavicle or one inch below the clavicle. I think it's, that is a therapist's discretion, but it comes back to, it's gotta be communicated. Where are you going? Right. Why do you want to go here? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I think when we started talking about this, um, Ian Cam came into my mind because we talked about this with him and I don't know, you guys can tell me what you think of this. He was saying, instead of signing this, consent for treatment of sensitive areas, maybe a better protection for the public would be making it more uh, public knowledge that there is a complaints process. There is a way to let people know and let the college know if your RMT has done something that you thought was inappropriate. What do you think? In, in the perfect world, that's a great idea. But if you ask, oh, so many clients, 
they have no idea that they're what a college is. Yeah. Right. And that was his, that point, was his point is maybe making it like a poster or something. And then somebody weighed in and said that actually does exist. Yeah, we were we were rapping about that. I, yeah, someone said like that the college does have something some 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 sort of infographic. Yeah, so that. I guess Ian's suggestion was maybe every RMT treatment room should have this information about who the college is and where you would who you would contact if something did happen, if you felt like you needed to make a complaint. Yeah, I think that there's value in that. I I think that you're never going to obviously when that happens in a treatment room and especially if that person's gone through something already, there's going to be a whole host of circumstances that either allow them to report it or they feel a whole host of things that they are ashamed of and don't want to report for Mm -hmm. a variety of things that I'm not going to pretend to try and understand. But I think that whenever you're trying to raise a flag to this, I think that, yeah, public education can definitely help in, in that. I think you're right. Like a lot of people don't necessarily know what the CMTO does. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of people don't know that we are, all policed very heavily. Um, and rightfully so, because we're in the professions that we're in, in healthcare. And maybe if people knew more about that, it would, it would be of benefit across the entire profession. I had the reverse of the sensitive areas consent happen to me yesterday. What do you mean? Uh, <laughs> I didn't know how else Sounds to odd. start this story. It was very odd. I just need to share this with other therapists and I, I need some some input here. So I got a call from an unknown number and I was in my car. So I wasn't in the office and I didn't answer it as if it was my business phone. I just, I wasn't thinking I had my kids with me and my phone rang Bluetooth. Everyone don't worry. I wasn't using my phone in my car, but I (laughs) answered. And when I answered, I realized right away because the person was like, uh, uh, I was like, Oh shoot, this is somebody calling to book a treatment. So I said, Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, this is Amanda speaking. How can I help you? And he went on to tell me that he's been, he was referred to me. And when he said the name of the person who referred him, I, I couldn't quite hear him, but then he kept talking and I didn't go back to it. But anyway, he said, uh, I'm having trouble finding a therapist that can help me with my concern. But I had told him that I, you know, that I was in my car and that the kids were with me. And he said, but I don't want to talk about this if the children can hear me. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. And I said, I'm just going to need a little bit more information. And he said, okay, well, we can talk when the kids can't hear me. He's like, well, basically, I pulled my adductor. And I said, so what you're saying to me is you're having trouble finding a therapist to treat an adductor strain. He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, um... Okay, and he said, "I'll I'll just call you when when you're not with your children," and that was it. Like, huh? Yeah, that one seems like that flag might be a little red, right? <laughs> I'm having trouble finding a therapist that will treat this particular area, and I was thinking, yeah, because you're fucking creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't think you have an adductor strain, sir. But anyway, you should tell him that's 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 my husband's specialty, actually. <laughs> <laughs> But immediately that form came into my mind because I thought, okay, like I don't know a single RMT that would say I can't treat an adductor strain, right? Especially now that we have this where, okay, this is a sensitive area. Yes, we know, but absolutely we can treat it. Let's talk about it. So I thought, okay, so you are trying to see my comfort level with touching your inner thigh. And I know like you guys have done some episodes on that stuff and it's just so unfortunate that that still is such a a large part of the of the screening that therapists still have to do. Yeah. I think we should just have the rub and tugs on speed dial. Oh like, boy. hey, go here. I'm serious. You think I'm joking? I'm serious. 
Let's send Emily Mew some business. You you can do that. <laughs> um, she owns a licensed body rub parlor in Toronto. I want to continue with the standards. Yeah, we got idea. a little we got a little off topic. I mean, no, blame it me, wasn't. We had to talk about the sensitive areas form because that is always a hot topic with RMTs. And Ooh. like you guys said, it's people love it, people hate it. I mean, actually, I shouldn't say people love it. I don't think I've met anyone who loves it. To be honest, my personal opinion, I don't mind it. Even though, yes, like the two of you, I can see both sides of it. Uh, maybe I just don't like how it's worded, but I also can't say that because I don't have the the want or the the energy to reword it. Yeah, that's but, what I was going to say. You can do whatever you want with it as long as you're obtaining written consent. Yeah. Word it any way you please. I don't know. I also find that, and maybe it's it's my own fault and it's my own approach, but I find that I'm, you know, like I was getting verbal consent for doing treatment for glutes or anything. Any Like I... Even when I'm undraping somebody, I'm like, I'm going to, you know, I tell them what I'm doing. So I just felt like I was bringing extra unnecessary attention to something that like treating glutes doesn't have to be awkward. But when I'm telling you it's a sensitive area, then maybe I'm making it awkward. That was just my feeling on it when it first came out. I didn't love that. But anyway, let's move on to more consent. Or did we finish this one already? Does it talk? It talks about draping here too, a little bit, which I think is kind of a strange place for it. While you're bringing that up, I think circling back to a point that Fran made earlier, I can't remember exactly what she said, but having this discussion around just like really everything that we've been talking about. And and even when you're talking about like intent of treatment and getting consent and giving people forms because the, the patient just really wants to get on the table and have their massage. I think that might be literally the most important point of this entire podcast. And I, I actually gave a lecture on this yesterday that like, my whole thing was we are the experts giving the patient quality care. And for us to do that effectively and efficiently and within our scope, we need to follow these guidelines of ruling out red flags, doing a thorough health history, doing an assessment, devising a treatment plan around that objective and subjective data that we've gotten and not, and then coming to a, a common goal and theme with the patient taking their, you know, their wants and needs and values and what they want from the treatment and aligning it with us and then formulating a treatment plan around that rather than allowing all of our patients to dictate the treatment in a way that we can't even get in a word. And I think a lot of this starts when massage therapists are being educated early in student clinics. Mm -hmm. And them understanding the standards. Because again, like you said, if we are going to be providing safe and effective treatment, there's no way we can do that if you're walking in and I'm saying, okay, go get on the table. Like, there's no way that we can be upholding the standards if we're not taking all of these steps to make sure that this is what's happening. And I know it's a thing that a lot of therapists like battle with because it's one of the most common questions I get. Like, how do I, how do I do an assessment? Like, how do I, or how do I kind of, how do I take my patient and sort of teach them that I want to be um, a little bit different in the way that I'm treating? If I've been treating, let's say I've been out a year. And I've been doing this where I'm not really assessing, I'm getting the patient to jump up on the table within three minutes and I'm massaging them. And then I'm, you know, I'm doing that all day. It's the, the question that I get most commonly is how do I sort of morph back into that 
you know, that therapist that's getting thorough consent and, and doing thorough assessments and stuff. And it's sort of like, well, you have to do that. Were you guys, Fran and Connor, were you guys ever the therapist that, that didn't do things like the, assess- like, cause you guys strike me as people that would, that they do everything that you're supposed to freaking do. Right. Even straight from the gates, straight from being, you know, my first day as an RMT with my new registration number. So what is it about what you did coming out of school that you would give to somebody else coming out of school so they can practice the way they want to practice and the way we're suggesting that they do it? Like, what did you guys do? Because I'm pretty sure you guys were not the therapist that said, okay, yeah, I'll just jump on the table. No problem. You guys dictate the treatment plan. I'll just, uh, I provide the service. You guys don't strike me as that. I think for me, if I can answer that is that uh, I wasn't 20 coming out of massage school. So I had mm. more confidence to actually do what I do. Whether I had the confidence to perform everything, great assessments and everything is not the point. I had the confidence to have the gift to gap. You think if you were younger in it, it would have looked different for you then? I might not have been able to, the people that were more aggressive, I just want to get on the table, I may not have been able to stand up and say, no, 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 I need to do this with you. I think she's right. And we've discussed that before, how only now, as I'm getting a little bit older, do I feel like I don't give a shit what anybody else thinks. I'm going to do things the way that... I think things are supposed to be done. But I think if I had become a therapist when I was, you know, 22, 23, I might not have had the confidence to say like, this is the way things are supposed to happen. And, you know, I had one therapist and she was, she was a more seasoned therapist say to me, why is it that massage therapists get treated like a buffet menu, whereas chiropractors and physios and kins, like they get to dictate the way the treatment goes. And so I was speaking to another seasoned therapist and she said, well, it's, you know, I want to make sure that I'm giving my clients what they want. And I said, okay, let's take these two ideas and put them together. Like it, it's supposed to be a conversation as Connor said before, it's supposed to be that you as the expert are saying, this is, this is my clinical impression. This is what my proposed treatment plan is. And then you discuss it with the client and you're obtaining their informed consent. And if you're doing that and having this open dialogue and they can see what your goals are and they can see what the end game is, then they're more likely to be on board. But if you are so concerned about keeping them happy and letting them choose from the buffet menu and just, you know, I want you to massage my head for 18 minutes and then treat my back for 20 and don't touch my feet. And, you know, like if, if they're dictating everything, then, you're not being the most safe and effective therapist. And that's going to be the therapist you get stuck being because you're letting the client tell you how to do your job that you studied to become the expert in. Yeah. And I think a lot of that can be done with like reframing the patient, right? Like just talking about, um, you know, what I, what I was discussing in this lecture was, um, accepting what the patient is saying and, mm-hmm. and applying that to your treatment plan, refuting what the patient is saying, because you don't think that that's the most valuable thing for them and, or reframing some of that language to say, yeah, I'm going to give you some of that head massage. It's going to be five minutes instead of 18 minutes. This is the reason why, um, because, you know, I, I think that you'd be better served in getting some treatment on your shoulder as well. And then a lot of the time when you have that conversation with people, it's very seldom that they're going to kind of refute back to you. And the caveat to that is if they don't, if they do sort of give you a hard time, then maybe that patient's not the best patient for your particular Mm -hmm. practice, which is okay as well. 
There are going to be patients that really, really like my style of treating. There, there are going to be patients that don't like my style of treating. I think that's true for all of us. Yep. And that's okay. Yeah, totally. And also, sometimes the patients are absolutely right. So as the therapist, a big part of our job is listening. And sometimes if what they're telling you, you know, I, I hear a lot of therapists uh, talking about chasing the pain. Are you guys pain chasers? Are you pain? Ch- are you a pain chaser, Mark? Depends. <laughs> depends on the patient. And it, this is what I mean. Is sometimes we can give that patient you know, all the the things that they're saying they want because they know their body. And after discussing it with them and doing our assessments, we realize what they're telling us they want is exactly what they need. And we're good with that. But it has to just be a discussion. You should not be a dictator. Your patient should not be a dictator. It has to be a collaborative decision on how this treatment plan is going to play out to be the most beneficial for that person. How did your how did your class receive your lecture? Uh, it was virtual. So I don't really know. <laughs> You're talking to a bunch of black squares. <laughs> There was a, a yeah a sea of black. So I'll just let you. I'll let you know how it went. Could have been. Here I am talking about it. Might be terrible. We had a a teacher on recently to discuss uh, schools reopening in Ontario. She's a high school teacher, and she's a high school teacher. So she's doing a lot of virtual teaching. She goes, you know what the worst thing is? She's like, I'm sitting on my laptop cracking jokes, but I don't know if anybody's laughing. No, it's so difficult. <laughs> Well, I have, a, I have a question then for the three of you going back to that that uh, point regarding um, just being able to discuss with patients and, and Fran was saying that she was a little bit older coming out of school and so was I. Do you think that there should be maybe an age of entry or a prerequisite to massage education in general? I think there used to be. Was there not in Sutherland Chan back in the day? Like you had to be 21? That would all be institutions will create those. Like, because that's not a ministry requirement, right? No, but it's it's like the discussion around degree programs yeah, yeah, yeah. or, you know, being a post, postgraduate diploma or something like that. And does, do, do, does having someone that's, you know, with more life experience and is that beneficial? Is it not? I don't think there needs to be an age of entry. There could be somebody that's 23 that is way better than I was at 23. Um, yeah, we had some pretty uh, pretty gung-ho young people on our couch. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I don't think I don't think on. age of entry really matters because, again, there can also be somebody who is my age right now that is still stuck in in whatever patterns they were in before. So I think it's, you know, it's all dependent on the person. And you know what? It's okay if when you come out of school, you suck. It, that's fine. You you might just suck. And when I say that, it's not that your skills suck. It's it's just you don't know who you are as a therapist yet. You haven't developed you haven't developed yourself. And that's the whole point of coming out and starting a practice and figuring that out. And so yeah, it was great that you know Fran was a little bit older and more confident. I I was a little bit younger and not quite as confident. I think I've sort of hit my stride and gotten better in the 10 years that I've been in practice. But I I think in the beginning, I was a little more focused on, like, I wanted to, I wanted to appear like I really knew my shit. So, you know, I would do all the stuff. I would do the assessments. I was very, very professional. But at the same time, I also wanted to make sure that I was keeping the clients really, really, really happy because I was afraid to lose them. I didn't have that mentality of like, eh, maybe this person's not for me. That came a little bit later when I realized I'm not going to be everybody's cup of tea and that's fine. Bran, how, how how different is your therapy now compared to when you first started? Are you a much different therapist now or are you oh, kind of like, I'm still kind of... Yeah. 100% different. Um, I, I really, I'm, 
my listening skills are different. I'm not going to say they're better. They're just different. And I hear what I need to hear to do the optimal treatment, right? So I, I'm very good at, at um, I guess, shredding out all the stuff that I don't need. And my direction is, is a lot different. So I, I treat really the whole body as opposed to just certain areas. So I've really changed just from all my experiences in my career. What about you, Mark? What about me? You ask a lot of questions. You don't answer a lot. Yeah, do you, <laughs> <laughs> do you yeah. feel that your therapy style has evolved? Has it stayed fairly consistent or have you just added things, but overall your style has stayed pretty much the same? It's mm, hard to say. I'm, I'm a different therapist but I'm, but I have the same, I have the same kind of core values. Does that make sense? Well, I already know how you treat. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, that's elaborate, uh, please. <laughs> Isn't it fun asking him questions? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm a podcaster now, so yeah, fuck you. I've done, I've done one interview with one person. <laughs> How'd that go? Do you see how I flipped that? Um, I, I'm a different therapist. Yeah, but but I but I have the same. I have a very similar approach. I I, I know what you mean by the yeah, core values you, because you yeah. are a kin at your soul. You're I'm a registered sweating. kinesiologist. <laughs> Your approach has always been movement-based. You've stayed pretty much in that movement-based type of work. Like it's, But it's the communication pieces that have really changed the most. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually come the most probably within the last four years. And it's really from doing a lot of these things and talking to a whole bunch of other therapists that I'm like, ooh, I'm hearing some good stuff. And that's what I want to put You're this in. fire for like playing playing with different um techniques and stuff has come back like you are incorporating all of these di like in one treatment i feel like you do seven different things with with your patients sometimes and yeah, sometimes. i think that you might have gone through a period where i wouldn't say you were lazy you were no i was lackluster lazy. i was lazy <laughs> but part of being lazy was i was working for other fucking people and i didn't care about the job i cared about just i did it to make money i did it i i worked i i had a job i had a job mm -hmm. and i was working in someone else's clinic and i'm like i'm not gonna fucking populate your clinic and and, and build your massage therapy side of it i'm gonna do what i'm here to do which is treat people and i'm and then i'm gonna go home and that'll be worst that. employee ever no, yes it's, i am I'm a, I'm a horrible employee i can't work for people because i don't give a well, shit now you have a career right well yeah well yeah thanks, thanks. um <laughs> did you guys say you wanted to talk about this draping yeah standard? because the draping standard is really if you guys remember the the original draping standard to me was all over the fucking map the original well, when i say original i mean original for me and i'm what 15 16 years in so when i first started that draping standard to me the, the the points of the draping standard were in contradiction to each other like one line would say you know never expose gluteal cleft or genitalia and then the next line will say um drape your patient you know according to their wishes and i'm like well what if they want to lie on the table fucking naked that's according to their wishes and i'm and, and i'm okay with it and they're okay with it then we can do this so it was really confusing to me because the points of that were just in conflict with each other and then they came out with this other thing what like three years ago or so whenever they did that whole change and then this document is like 17 fucking pages long right maintaining professional boundaries and preventing sexual abuse document and this is where it goes into draping as well like they have all these different pieces of the standards like verbal communication to maintain professional boundaries draping uh, treating family members and friends like it just went to this whole other thing this this it, it felt kind of strange but uh, let's see what's in this one and that way we can 
see if it makes more sense than what they had before. I think what they've done is uh, is now they've made it just a draping standard. Standard number 12 it, yeah. is so thick and it's got everything to prevent sexual abuse and maintaining boundaries. And so draping is kind of lost in the shuffle. But this one, I think it's great because it's, I mean, aside from the fact that they talk about consent again, <laughs> uh, again. I think it's awesome because now it's totally separate and here's all the draping standards. I'm just skimming through it now, but generally that's what I see first. It is much more streamlined. I think, um, you know, consent being thrown into everything as redundant as it is, it's obviously just highlighting that one of the most important things we have to make sure we're doing properly is obtaining consent for yeah. everything. I think at this point they can just put that one point obtained in for consent and just call it <laughs> call it a day yeah. uh, all the different ways to obtain consent um so yeah this one it's it is really just focused completely on draping so for the rmt outcome it's that the rmt drapes clients effectively to protect client privacy and safety and to maintain appropriate boundaries and for the client can, can we just keep something in mind with this because i haven't read it yet but i did read somewhere on facebook someone pointed out like hey for all of you rmts that don't use draping and treat people through their clothes you're you're not going to like this standard or something along those lines and so as you're reading this now i'm like I don't see this at all. Like, okay. I don't see what the concern would be. Okay. Uh, I haven't seen that yet, but okay. let's see. So for the client, the client is draped effectively to maintain appropriate boundaries and help prevent boundary crossings and boundary violations. So the RMT must obtain consent. I'm going to skip that whole thing. We know about that now. Explain to the client clearly what part of the body the RMT intends to assess or treat and whether the touch will be directly on skin or through a cloth barrier, for example, a sheet or the client's clothing. Discuss with the client how sensitive areas will be draped. Uh, explain to the client uh, how to prepare for assessment and treatment, including options to remove clothing, remain clothed, uh, or how to position themselves. Continuously monitor the client for change in consent and comfort with draping. Uh, drape securely. I like. I'm not. I don't see where this would have been an issue. Drape to prevent visual exposure. Adjust draping throughout assessment or treatment to ensure only the area of the body yeah, that right. is actively receiving assessment and or treatment is uncovered, except for the face and head. Confirm consent immediately before undraping. Okay, only the client. Yeah, only is... at the client's request. Uncover the client's body. Um, never expose them, never reach under the draping. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I don't see what anyone would have a problem with this when they're not using drape. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> really say, it doesn't say you have to use draping. If you are choosing to treat over clothes, that's completely fine. Again, it's just, you know, being thrown in our face all the time. Obtain consent. So do anything you want. Just get consent. No, I'm don't do anything you want. Scratch that. Please don't do anything you want. You didn't hear that here. <laughs> it seems pretty straightforward to me. It's yeah. very straightforward. Yeah. And, and like Fran said, it's not 17 pages long. So it's actually much clearer. Yeah. I think, Fran, you're going to say something? Yeah. There's a Facebook post that somebody commented. I can't remember what they said, but about number 12, never reach underneath the draping. And that really upset a bunch of people. And I can't figure out why. <laughs> yeah. I can't figure that out. Uh, yeah. I, I don't just know. Offhand right here. Did, did they give examples as to why that would? Yeah. I have or to if go you don't find remember. it. I don't know. Uh, I can't remember. It was a couple of days ago now. And I thought, wait a minute. Why is that? wrong. I mean, that's right. You shouldn't be putting your hands under the sheet. You shouldn't be putting your hands under the sheet, period. If the sheet is there, it's there because there's a boundary. Yeah, I, I, I'll see if I can find it and I'll email it to you guys later just for general conversation, but... <laughs> Yeah, sure. Interesting. Okay. So I'm happy with this this draping compared to what it was before, like Fran said. Yeah, you know, so far everything I'm seeing, it's 
there's not a ton of changes. It's just actually making it more more clear and they're discussing consent in every single area that they possibly can. The only thing that I'm seeing wrong with any of this so far is their rationale for changing everything to be less prescriptive. <laughs> That's the only thing that I'm looking at going, well, I don't see that part of it. Yeah, I don't know. But okay, there's well, nothing let's, wrong with it. Let's look at something like fees and billing and see. This is now starting to make me think that people just like to fucking complain. Mm, maybe. <laughs> starting to think that. Uh, the RMT charges fees that are fair and equitable, reasonable, transparent, and communicated to the client. The client is charged reasonable fees that are fair and explained to them before receiving massage therapy treatment. Do we so, really need a standard of practice for something that is explicitly outlined in the Massage Therapy Act? Like I was, I was also thinking like the standards of practice should be stuff that's not necessarily explicitly outlined in things like the Massage Therapy Act. Like this is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That was just my two cents for the moment. The the wording here saying you know charging fees that are fair, that are fair, reasonable. Like those words are. I don't know. Those are words that like the CRA uses and they don't mean anything. Well, yeah. Um, transparent and communicated to the client. That makes a lot of sense because I mean, ultimately, as a as a RMT, you can charge whatever the hell you want as long as it's it's clearly posted and it's you know you're letting people know about it. Um, whether or not someone's going to pay whatever fees you've determined are fair and reasonable, I don't know. What else does the standard say? The RMT must keep a financial record for each client. Yeah. Okay. Not submit an account or charge for services that the RMT knows is false or misleading. Okay. Not sell or assign any debt owed for professional services to a third party. For example, a collection agency. This does not include paying for massage therapy services with credit cards. Um, I don't know why that made me laugh a little bit. Make any penalties for missing or canceling appointments public and known to the client in advance of their first appointment and inform the client of any changes to the policy thereafter. Um, Fees for massage therapy must be communicated to the client prior to providing services, be itemized on a receipt if requested by the client or a person or agency paying for the services, be posted in a visible location in the practice setting, not differ, differ from the posted fee without rationale and noting it in their health record, not be excessive or unreasonable, not be reduced for prompt payment. Uh, and then it goes into uh, what the receipts have to include. I almost feel like this is just a reword from the massage therapy. Act. I'm also just feeling like, because we kept talking about these, uh, this being non-prescriptive, I feel like this is actually just a very clear guide of this is exactly what you should do. I don't know. What do you guys think? I feel like this is very straightforward. There is a second page to this one too. Oh, right. Um, I've been skipping that, but uh, underneath the standards, it will show the related standards of practice. So with this one, client-centered care, communication, conflict of interest, and consent. (laughs) Consent will be on all of them. Related career span competencies, act with professional integrity, comply with legal requirements. Very, very straightforward. I was just trying to see if I can find anything worthy of discussing in this one. And like I said, the only thing are these words, fair, reasonable, equitable. Well, like, yeah. Who's to they, decide? They can't, they can't tell you what yeah. you can charge. What like I said, charge. it's like when the CRA says that, you know, as uh, within reason or as long as it's reasonable. Okay. So that's basically just saying, be a professional, do your market research, understand these things. Yeah. You know, to be honest with you, like all of that is really kind of just straight from the Massage Therapy Act under, mm-hmm. their, under their record section for financial records must contain the following. Yeah. I don't know. 
I got no problems. I really don't understand what people have thrown their arms up about now that I'm going through this. Maybe they weren't. Maybe we were misunderstanding everything. You can't read tone through text. I know. I was just reading content. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is this new? Infection prevention and control? I believe it is. Okay. It's talking about IPAC stuff. Yeah. There's an old standard for that, but it doesn't have all the updated IPAC stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Number five is all infection control stuff. Oh, there it is. I was looking further down. I'm like, why don't I say, I feel like there's got to be something. Thank you, Fran, for knowing the numbers better than I do. <laughs> Risk identification and management for an outbreak of infectious diseases, standard five. So yeah, this one is just including all of the new stuff. Because we live in a COVID world now. Yes, and it's good that it's there. At least the yeah. people will know where to go fucking find it. Yeah, this is this is a little long. Um, but again, I, I don't think there's anything here that would really be an issue, anything we have to discuss. Nope. I mean, following public health recommendations, that just makes absolute sense if you're working in a healthcare setting. Um, making sure your practice is sanitary. Well, that's just good sense. Cleaning and disinfecting. You should have been doing that always. I don't think you need to be told to, or you shouldn't need to be told to. Um, yeah. Anything? You, do you guys have anything to say on infection prevention and control? Not I. No. Uh, no. no. Prevention of sexual abuse. So um, were you guys saying before that this, all the sexual abuse stuff was in the draping standard? Was there not, there was nothing. Separate? It was a standard called maintaining professional boundaries and preventing sexual abuse. And it had all of these there, yeah, different okay. parts to it. And then that's what you would find if you clicked on the, the, the current draping standard. Not Got the it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So is there anything new in this one? Are you guys looking at it? No, it's really just a summary of stuff that you would see in the RHPA uh, uh, around sexual abuse. Yeah. Right. So I, I kind of like what they've done with this because it's, forced you to understand what's in the RHPA and what's in the Massage Therapy Act. I mean, like I said before, I don't know if I don't know if I would have put them in the standards of practice kind of thing. I feel like it's a little misplaced there. I feel like a standard of practice should be for something that we already don't have information on, but I mean, that's just me. Or is it there because the RHPA and the MTA, like maybe people just don't take the time to go through that and this is much easier to navigate? Maybe know, they're man. trying to Shouldn't you shouldn't you know that shit that's in the RHPA and MTA like that should be just a fucking people, job people should do a lot of things they don't do Mark <laughs> I mean I think in terms of yeah just having a summary of all of this stuff it seems to all be in one spot now and have you're readily you know it's all readily accessible for you and there's a lot of link backs and stuff yeah I like the references that they have on these. This is that that that's a nice piece for sure. Yeah, like right here because you were saying it, so uh, the RMT must number one never sexually abuse clients, and then it has the link to uh, the RHPA. So there you go. Don't do it. I like <laughs> under um, for each one it has the registered massage therapist outcome, the client outcome. This one client outcome. The client is not sexually abused by an RMT. Pretty straightforward. You know what always confused me? Not confused me, but I, I always have questions on. When you start to look at the, the definitions of sexual abuse, so obviously sexual intercourse, sexual touching, but then the last one there, behavior, like like, behavior or remarks of a sexual nature well, I can, by the I can, RMT. I can figure out the, the remarks client. part, but behavior, like uh, behavior. We had heard of a case where um, the therapist wasn't actually like necessarily touching the client, but he was what appeared to be intentionally rubbing himself on her. So while he was like working on her back, he was rubbing his. Uh, 
like penis on her arm. Oh, you're talking about the dude from Kingston. Yeah, I heard about that. He's he was found innocent in court. I, I was I was trying not to identify anyone, but well, the point is like if sorry, we're talking dude, behavior, yeah. I you know just acting there. I'm I'm sh- I think they have to include that because maybe somebody doesn't say something, but as a female, I can tell you it's very apparent when a dude is acting creepy. He doesn't. It doesn't necessarily have to be what he says. It's the way he is acting. So that has to be in there that you're not acting in a way that's. <laughs> I know it's just so weird because, like, how do you how do you define sexual behavior? Do you know I don't know. I mean? How do you define reasonable? Just, we do the best <laughs> we can. Here. It's pretty obvious when you know what's happening as a female therapist. You know exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's you words, know. but it's it could be as simple as just like it's almost like a grinding motion while you're trying to. Yes. Doing yes. Like that's sexual behavior. Right. Mm-hmm. So sexual behavior of like the RMT towards the client. Okay. But I'm just I mean, curious, like how would you define that sexual behavior? Like the other thing you described so far was like it's touching. Like if I'm going to fucking rub my dick on your arm. But again, if he's not actually like touching her in bad places and it, it could be passed off as it was an accident. Gotcha. Okay. So I, I can't think of an example, but I, I, what I'm saying is that word behavior has to be there because maybe the therapist didn't necessarily make a remark but he did something that could be looked at as like sexual or in some kind of way. Can I ask you guys a question? What do you guys think about everything uh, like sexual abuse and allegations being public, right? So before Protecting Patients Act, how all of the colleges were not we, they were just following what they always did, which was publishing or making public information about misconduct when someone is found guilty. And there was no information during an investigation or about allegations. But ever since Protecting Patients Act and all the colleges decided to go 100% transparent saying we're going to now publish allegations. What do you guys think about that in terms of for sexual abuse allegations? Is that sexual abuse or any call? It's any college procedure now, right? I don't think so. I, I know I know 100% it it's for sexual abuse. I think everything else is still under wraps until. And is that regardless of like the the state of the investigation, right? It's like uh, whether the the investigation's in the like. There's been no ruling. Yeah, I think there is no allegation. It's an period. allegation, right? Yeah. Someone's made a complaint about a therapist, or someone's been formally charged by the by the police do you guys think it's a it's a good move or bad move like you can see how this would be fucking horrible like the like like the dude in kingston who was charged he was criminally charged it went to court he was found not guilty in court but i'm in toronto i know this fucking story kingston ain't the biggest fucking place so i imagine it's really hard for him to fucking work in Kingston, even though he's been found not guilty in a court of law. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I don't really know where my opinion sits on that, to be honest with you. Because I get it why you would publish those allegations, right? So to give the general public the option of deciding, do I want to see this therapist who has allegations against them or not? Like, do I feel comfortable going there or not? At least I know. But again, they're, they're allegations at this moment. What's worse, being suspended when you have allegations so nobody can make that choice or making it public that there are allegations against you and giving people the choice. Is there really, I feel like. Death by fire or death by fucking gun is what you just right? asked for. Well, th- this is the point is I feel like once there's allegations against you, I feel like you're, you're, you're done. Hmm. That's terrifying. The college, the college doesn't scare me. This scares me. It is. It should be scary. I'm not going to lie. It should be fucking scary. 
It should be because at the end of the day, someone can walk out of your treatment room, decide they want to call up the college and say, uh, Fran and Connor touched me inappropriately and uh, I would like to file a complaint. And then bang, Fran, Connor, your name is on the front fucking, on the homepage, on the what's new section of the CMTO website. Granted, no one goes there but therapists, but we see what therapists do on Facebook. They'll take that and they'll post it to every fucking Facebook group. Yeah, let's hope that doesn't happen. I'm just curious about that. What do you guys think about that? That that what therapists tend to do with that when they see like an article about an allegation of sexual abuse, RMT to a patient, or someone's convicted, whether it's conviction or allegation, and they throw it all over Facebook. What do you think about that? Just out of curiosity. I think that uh, my opinion as as the professional is, if I want to find that information, I know where to find it. True. Um, this is a little off topic, but I'm so excited to read this part right now because I know this has been, no, you can't. No, no yeah, yeah. I just, I, I thought Fran was, was also going to. Oh, sorry. I didn't hear her. You go first, Fran. Yeah. I'm kind of, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I think about it. I see it. Um, it, it becomes a whole, a whole bunch of people going, I can't believe this is still happening. But what good does that do? Do we need to know about these guys? Part of me is like, guys or girls, sorry. Part of me is like, yeah, I want to know if there's something happening. Does it need to be days and days and days of of posts and comments? I don't think that's the point. But it goes back to what you said before. All we want to do is complain about stuff. And yeah, we should mm-hmm. complain about that. But there's nothing we can do about it. And so I, I don't know. I, I kind of like want to know. And I'm not, I think that outweighs me. I don't want to see it. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. I think there should be a piece that goes along with that, though. I think, I don't think it should be just like, let's, let's throw it out there and let's just kind of, I don't know, wreck this guy's life or this female's life or whatever and, and talk about how horrible this thing is. Maybe there should be some sort of positive ta- tale to that. Some, ta- some positive takeaways, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, now I'm going into fucking school teacher mode. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have to, I'm sorry. I'm like way too excited because this gets talked about all the time. So, on this same uh, the same page of the draft, the standard of practice for prevention of sexual abuse, there's a note at the bottom of page one, important information. Sexual abuse, in quotes, does not only include unwanted touching of a client by an RMT. Any romantic or sexual relationship with a client, including a spouse, is considered sexual abuse under the RHPA, and then in brackets, except for in an emergency or for incidental treatment where a referral is then made. In the eyes of the law, a client is unable to consent to a sexual relationship with a practitioner from whom they are receiving treatment, such as massage therapy. The reason I was really excited to read this is because I have seen many debates about like, oh, you mean you can't like uh, rub A5, uh, what is that? What is that? Rub A535, whatever that nonsense is on your partner and it's considered sexual abuse. Well, it clearly says in this draft, except for in an emergency or incidental treatment. So you can't be your your spouse's therapist. But if your spouse suddenly falls over at home because they twisted their ankle and you ice it and you maybe do some treatment and like in that moment no that's not sexual abuse it's no different than like the doctor giving his his wife some Tylenol she has a headache but you can't be your spouse's therapist and this makes it I feel like pretty clear how was it worded before that there was so much confusion around this I don't think it had the end piece that you were referring to about the incidental Mm -hmm. I think the verbiage is still the same um, and now they've 
they've added this incidental piece to it. Yeah, I'm trying to find it in the RHPA to see if that little piece is worded in that the That little RHPA piece comes out in a couple different places in big paragraphs somewhere. <laughs> I can't remember where, but it's uh, it's stated something similar, but it's not as specific as this. Right. Okay. Any uh, This is from uh, the original, so this is the standard as it exists now. Any romantic slash, slash sexual relationship with a client, including a spouse, is always considered sexual abuse under the RHPA. Even the individual's even if the individuals involved consent to the relationship, it is still considered sexual abuse within the meaning of the RHPA. Currently, there is no RHPA exception for RMTs to treat spouses. Yeah, because that, that, yeah, that's what I was kind of hinting at before. I think that little piece at the end that you were talking about it mm-hmm. wasn't to, to be found anywhere. Right. Which is good because it answers the fucking question. It that answers it all the, the fucking time. Yeah, it answers the question. Because again, as a, as a reasonable person, I always felt exactly that. Like, I'm not going to be... Mark's therapist. That would be ridiculous. In fact, I don't treat him at all, even if he does fall down on the floor and sprain his ankle. That's nice. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thanks. <laughs> but I I mean, obviously I'm kidding. But like, for example, <laughs> have there been times where I come home from work after treating a million people and my wrist hurts? And I'm like, oh, my wrist really hurts. And he might look at it for 30 seconds and say, okay. And, you know, that's, you know, is he, is he, sexually abusing me for checking out my wrists to say my wrist hurts after treating so many people. I don't know. I feel like we have to be reasonable here, but there's people who are like, no, there's absolutely no exception. And yes, there's no exception in the RHPA, but he's not treating me. You know what I mean? You know, the interesting part about this was the CMTO was this close and I'm holding up my fingers to be about an inch and a half apart between my thumb and my index finger was this close to doing a 180 on this before protecting patients act came out. So when I, I used to teach at a, a private career college. I was uh, representing our school at these meetings for, the, there was an organization or a council called the Ontario Council of Private Massage Therapy Career Colleges. And so the CMTO would often present at, at these meetings that happened, I don't know, quarterly or something like that. And they were talking about this close, being this close to doing a 180 to allowing RMTs to treat their significant others and spouses. And then all of that shit happened with Protecting Patients Act. And they're like, whoa, nope. Forget that. Forget we said that. We're going back to what we were doing before. That was interesting to me that they were considering pulling that pulling that away. What was the basis for the consideration that they were going to pull it? Like, what was? Did they have a premise as to why they were going to do that? Not not that I know of. I should say it like that. <laughs> the the right. answer is probably yes, but I'm dumb, so I don't know. But they didn't. They weren't presenting like no. They didn't really reasons as to exactly. why. Exactly. This seems to be a point that makes people really, really passionate. I guess is the word. Do you do? But do you see the reason? why like i don't see the big deal about this i i don't really understand the reason why people are so passionate about it i mean it's it's just to prevent things from getting messy like i understand the standard you don't you don't treat your spouse because you are in a sexual relationship with this person fine um i like this little piece though except for in emergency or incidental treatment but okay if the RHPA says there are no exceptions, then... Yeah, but the CMTO, the college can do that in their standards and anything else. They can blatantly say that, hey, this is our policy and it trumps whatever act, which they do with the treatment of sensitive areas, right, the right, consent right, form. Right. They flat out and say, yes, we understand that this goes against the Healthcare Consent Act, but we don't fucking care. This trumps the Healthcare Consent Act, so you can't hide behind that. Mm-hmm. So I understand why they can do that with the RHPA. 
yeah, I see. Well, anyway, I like the wording of this because, again, it just goes back to just being reasonable. Like, no, you can't treat your spouse. But at the end of the day, this is your spouse. If they do fall in front of you and just because you're a massage therapist, you're not going to do anything for them. Of course you are. So let me ask you guys a question. You don't have to answer if you don't want to. Well, we know it's a mandatory reporting obligation to report sexual abuse. Connor, you know that Fran is uh, treating her partner. <laughs> Are you reporting that? You you just backed him into a corner. There is literally <laughs> nothing he can fucking do right now. I want to watch him squirm a little bit. Yes, I am. <laughs> Thanks, Connor. Appreciate that. <laughs> and Fran is reporting me. Exactly. Exactly. We are it's ethical a, people. I'm not going to lie. That's a tough go. That's a tough fucking go. I don't know what I would do there. I'll, I'll say it then. I don't know what I'll do there. I'm not in the situation, so I don't have to worry about it. I'm getting pierced so soon. Anyway, what the fuck? <laughs> but <laughs> so am I. I really don't know what I would do there. I would have no idea. That I know a be. number of people that that's been done to. That they've reported that? Yeah. Wow. Or they've, like, that you know people that have reported other therapists, or you know other therapists that have been reported? I know people that have reported other therapists oh, okay know that they're friends of friends with uh yes yeah huh. that's a that's Good one stand-up fucking therapist for them I, you know i appreciate as a practitioner i appreciate that because that's part of what we're supposed to do so i respect them for being you know their duty and i i also know this the situation that it becomes is I also know of people that have, uh, like, let's say there's like two people that have dated, they break up, two other people start dating, one of them's a therapist, they get wind that that person has treated them, and then they've reported mm. the therapist. And I've, I've heard of about two or three occasions where that has happened as well. Yeah, I know a couple like that as well. Um, a divorce and the ex finds out that yeah. Their ex was sleeping with their therapist and then they're reported. So yeah. I think the the bigger, just to go back to this standard, the bigger people, problem people have is that they just don't understand why they can't treat their spouse. Why is it sexual abuse? Right. right? That's just a clear definition under the RHPA. It, yeah. It's, it's pretty clear why you can't treat your and, spouse. And, I and believe I mean, that they purposely choose that language. So yeah. it sounds freaking horrible. Yeah. Well, it's supposed to sound horrible. <laughs> I mean, therapists, therapists, if you're listening, take it as a blessing. You don't have to go home and work. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, dude. I cannot treat you. <laughs> and then everyone thinks like that they got the workaround for it. Like, oh, don't make a file. Don't take a payment. Don't have a receipt. That doesn't make them a patient. I'm like, I, I don't I don't think so, man. I saw someone post on Facebook the other day. How about if you're going to engage in this behavior, don't fucking broadcast it. Like, <laughs> why are you t talking about this on an internet forum that you treat your spouse? Just shut up. Yeah, it's really strange. But none of us here do that, right? So it's okay. It doesn't apply. Let's move on. But it's weird because there's other colleges that allow that to happen. So, for example, dentists can treat their their significant others am i wrong in that did i make that up i might have made that up i, I heard I, I, I heard that somewhere but it might have been from you <laughs> yeah they can i think i heard that they could i'm gonna google I, it i really don't know because there was a case recently was it a hygienist or was it a dentist that case i think was a hygienist yeah, and they're not allowed was, to they're not but allowed dentists to i think can because that was yeah, a big, I think they can. that was a whole discussion can dentists treat their spouses in ontario as of july 11th 2014 dentists are able to treat their spouses in ontario yeah, yeah, yeah. the change is due to a Regulation passed by the Ontario legislature, legislature that puts the Regulated Health Professions Amendment Act spousal exception into force. Hmm. 
So yes, dentists can in fact treat their spouses. You know what I guess it comes down to like which which ones of the colleges are 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 you likely going to have abuse scenarios, like actual sexual abuse scenarios? Like I don't really see this happening very much at a dentist's office in comparison but to then, like a massage that therapy. can't be the rationale because a hygienist. Yeah, okay, I take that back. Interesting. To be a fly on the wall where decisions are yeah, made. We're just picking and choosing here. Dentists, sure. Hygienists, forget it. Huh. That was a good one. Oh, sorry. I dropped the ball. Hold on. Privacy, confidentiality, or professional boundaries. Privacy and confidentiality. Let's move there. The registered massage therapist always maintains the privacy and confidentiality of their clients and their personal health information. And for the client, the client's personal health information, privacy, and confidentiality are securely protected. So the list of requirements to comply with the Personal Health Information Protection Act. That could have been the, that could have been the whole thing. That standard. could have been the whole thing, actually. <laughs> Understand that the rules governing cons- consent to decisions involving personal health information are found in the Act and are different from those governing consent to treatment found in the Healthcare Consent Act. I mean, don't the titles of these acts clearly tell us where to find the information for each of these things? I'm I'm now actually siding with Mark and saying as streamlined as this is, this information is out there for a lot of these standards. Uh, let's see if there's anything worth talking about in this one. I mean, we already know these things. You must obtain consent before disclosing personal health information to a person outside of the circle of care. And understand that if they have received personal health information from the client or another healthcare professional for a healthcare purpose, they can rely on the client's implied consent to disclose the personal health information within the client's circle of care unless they have reason to believe that the client has expressly withheld or withdrawn consent to do so. That's always a difficult scenario when the client doesn't want you to share healthcare information within the circle of care. Mm-hmm. Has that happened to you? Yeah, it's happened to me a couple of times. I mean, obviously, without giving client information, what type of practitioner was the client asking you to not share information with? Uh, Like primary physician. Like you're providing care. You want to share information because you think it's pertinent and important and they don't want you to. So you, you, you were seeking consent prior to doing so, even though legally you were fine to do so. Yeah, I generally always kind of do that. It's a good idea. Like I, I, I'm maintain the trust. Yeah. Like I always want to make sure that the, the client's privy to the, to the fact that like, I, I know some people that they'll like, um, and it's not necessarily in the massage profession. I'm sure there are people in the massage profession that do it as well. They'll send a doctor's note every, every client or patient that they see, right? The doctor gets a note on, I saw this, this person for this thing. And it's kind of used as a bit of a, it it is used as a marketing tool, but it's also providing them information. Um, I have a tendency to not do that in my practice, but I'll, if I'm dealing with somebody with something, I'll generally say, I'd like to send a letter, you know, do I have your consent to do that? Um, And there have been instances where the patient has not felt comfortable in doing so. And you can, you know, you're certainly not trying to talk them out of it, but it is then an opportunity to provide rationale as to why this might be important to the, for their benefit. And then, you know, if they continue to sort of not agree with you, then, you know, it is their information ultimately. I've never heard of that kind of scenario before. No, I've never had that happen. That's why I asked Fran, have you ever had that happen to you? Not at all. It's happened to me about twice in 14 years. It's interesting. 
It's good that that's out there, man. Now we know that that shit does happen. Does I would have never put my money on that. <laughs> good thing I don't gamble. Uh, I'm just trying to see if there's anything else in here that might be something worth talking about. Um, allowing access to their own personal information. Um, see, the college has like the college has documents on all of this stuff. The college has documents on releasing records and 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 all that kind of shit. It's just making it easier for people. Yeah. Because nobody reads the policies and position statements yeah. for something to do, whereas yeah. the standards there, they're take the points and put them in front of people. So maybe that's part of it is the easy access for people. Yeah. And then all the links are here, which, as Mark said, this is a really good point. Like at the bottom of page two on this, um, this standard, it says uh, to meet or exceed the standard, please see the following. And then there's links to the Personal Health Information Protection Act, the Code of Ethics, um, mandatory reporting, all of that stuff. So you have the links to see everything you absolutely would need yeah. to. I, I like this i don't know <laughs> i really have no idea now what the hell anyone gets up in arms about i, I i'm enjoying this i need to read point number 10 again wait wait, Maybe. wait Fran, Fran was gonna say something too i think people got stuck on that first one about aligning our treatment plan i mm. think after that that put a bad taste in people's mouth and then everything it didn't matter if anything else was read i don't know what else was read but that was the main thing that people were commenting on on the Facebook page. So maybe that's it. Yeah, that's the only one that I saw as well was that aligning the treatment plan. Uh, but somebody did even specifically say to us, hey, can you guys do an episode talking about the draft? So I thought there might be more juicy stuff in here. And yeah, me too. <laughs> here we are kind of like, what? Um, <laughs> we should have done this over dinner at least. This, this point number 10, use any electronic communication, social media, and other forms of digital technology ethically and professionally in a way that protects client privacy and confidentiality is that new was that always there or is it just the way it's worded i have a i have a question because i actually don't know the answer to this uh what is the deal with sharing uh, a video of a patient doing something online and you uh you would have their well let's say in the circumstance you have their expressed consent or mm -hmm. you have a written consent or something mm -hmm. uh, is that like, does anyone know, like, is that something that's sort of like this, this sort of says like use electronic communication, social media it says use that appropriately, um, that protects client privacy and confidentiality. So like, can you take a picture of a leg? Um, absolutely. So to me, in any of these scenarios, as like you said, as long as you have consent for that patient, then the same way they can release any part of their file to anybody that they choose to. It's the same concept. You, you do that with consent from them. So if you're going to be posting anything that would be considered to be outside of their confidentiality, then you just need their permission to do so. Right. So if you want, the only thing you have to be weary, the only thing you have to think about is if, are you using it in terms of advertising and testimonials? That's when it gets into the Massage Therapy Act and it talks about advertising and the explicit use of testimonials, whether it is, you know, on paper, online, anywhere. You can't do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So we can't say like, oh, Connor fixed my leg or Connor was, did this or whatever the case is. But you can definitely have a patient on your, or patient or client on your social as long as you have their permission to do so. 
then you're, you're fine. The same way if you have their permission to release any part of their file, you're fine. Well, again, when it comes to social media and you're doing a post with, you know, whether it's a picture of somebody's back and you're doing cupping or if it even has their face in it, there's nothing there that's even identifying that person as a client. This is just your social media. I mean, yes, you're still getting, obviously you're still getting their consent, but I'm saying there's no like breach of confidentiality. This is just a person on yeah, your social and media. And, and, and if they're not identifiable, then that's even that's even easier, right? There is no breach in confidentiality. I would still have their permission to post something, but if it's something that's not showing their face in any way, shape, or form, in other words, I can't figure out who this person is, then it's, that would be the same as you and I having a conversation about a, a, any case that you have right now. We're just leaving off any information that you can identify the person. Right. So in yeah. that regard, the only I, like I said, the only piece that you'd have to worry about more is is this being used as like a testimonial in that mm -hmm. case, that's where you can get dung on that one. Right. And then there's always a workaround for that as well. Like I've got you on my you're a patient of mine and you're on my Instagram. And instead of instead of you saying, oh, Mark was great. Massage helped my shoulder. Look at the no, don't mention my name at all. Don't credit me with anything. Right. Hashtag massage helps. You know, mm -hmm. and then it's then it's not a testimonial for you. It's implied, obviously, because it's on your social feed, but it's not an outright testimonial. Then that's 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 the in my mind, the kind of legal workaround for that. At least that's the workaround I've been spewing to everybody. <laughs> Everyone. So, so you don't know. By the way, <laughs> it's it's in the next it's in the next draft if we just move on. Sure. Was <laughs> I, tell me I was right at least. Tell me. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, did, so, I work, did I work my way through that one really well? Hold on. Hold on. So is this under privacy and confidentiality? Uh, professional boundaries. So in uh -oh. brackets it says see also prevention of sexual abuse. So there's a lot of repeated information here okay. about sexual abuse, about obtaining informed consent, sensitive about areas, the sensitive areas. Yeah. Um, obtain consent from clients for the use of audio, video, or or photographic equipment for assessment, treatment, and educational purposes only. Yep. Disable all audio, video, or photographic functions. Or, oh, no, never mind. I was wrong. I, <laughs> I only saw audio, video, and I got excited. Um, yeah, never mind. It's not there. No, okay. well, this is if you're if you're if you're using any kind of recording audio or video for the purpose of assessment, treatment, educational purposes, then that's yeah. fine. And you obviously have to disable it consent. when they're... Uh, so does that mean educational purposes for the patient or educational purposes? I think it's supposed to... I was reading it as... Initially, I thought the same thing. I was like, I guess that means for the client. You know, if you're going you to be... You can make the argument either way. Though. You could make the argument either way if based on the way it's worded. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you're taking video of your client walking um, as a gait analysis and you're showing them, or if you're taking uh, photos for a postural assessment and you're showing them, it's for their education. The bottom line is... If if a patient consents to something like that, that that outweighs so many other things. If a patient just says yes, then fine. Then the answer is yes. Is that not? Am I? Am I no, am that's, that's right. It's, it's, if you have written consent, then you're to you're totally right, Mark. Thanks, friend. I don't think anybody argued you. I think Connor and I are hungry. <laughs> 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 all right, all right, all right. I wasn't really, I wasn't really arguing. I've just kind of thought <laughs> the same thing, but I uh, was just wanting to to see other people's um, sort of viewpoints on it. Are you looking to use uh, uh, people for educational stuff, or do you already do it? Is that what you're saying? Or you don't. No, say I was just kind of curious. Yeah, because it was one of those things where, like, you know, all of a sudden Facebook existed, right, yeah. and Instagram existed, and then you see, it was more because you see it all over the place, right? right you right, see right. people treating people online or you see people taking people through movement screens online or showing massage techniques or what what have you 
Um, yeah, you see it all over the place. So mm. it's just if Mark uses me as a demo body in an Instagram video to educate you all, is that sexual abuse? No, you just can't. Yeah, every fucking time. <laughs> Look at Connor's eyes. We might have to edit that part out. Oh, no, you can. That's that's debatable. I can argue that one. I can argue that one in front of a panel. That's that's how I make my decisions. By the way, can I fucking argue this one in front of the panel with, without the use of a lawyer? <laughs> It's probably not the best way to go about stuff. <laughs> uh, on this on this page Fran, as well. Me out. Fran, me help out. him. <laughs> address address unintentional or accidental boundary crossings or violations immediately and document them. You know what? I swear to God, someone from the CMTO took my fucking record keeping course because we talk about all of this shit. I, I purposely brought that up because it's I even worded that yeah. way. I even worded that way. Document <laughs> unintentional. Document um, accidental. Everything. You know? <sighs> anyway. We're we're always drilling that into people. Document everything. Yeah. Like you're human, you're gonna fuck up sometimes. I mean, hopefully not a lot of times and hopefully not in very serious ways. But yeah, you know, your hand slips under the sheet. Just document it. You know, even on things like that, that that are like, like any kind of accidental exposure. Yeah. Like, I even documented down to the time during treatment that this happens right patient turned you know from prone to supine left breast tissue exposed at 1 35 p.m like that's how detailed i'm gonna go for something like that that i might get questioned about later so there's only there's only one more here that we haven't opened up so might as well safety and risk management anything in here worth talking about i mean your your space should be should be safe and sanitary should be cleaned so this is like the one the preparing treatment area kind of thing from the original or not i don't know if it's oh original, it's like the uh, it looks like it's like the um pre-treatment control type thing it's a little bit of all of it of it's saying you know like for example uh, rmt must document cleaning and maintenance in the practice setting right. um have an equipment service or record log comply with current health and safety government orders and directives leg legislation cmto requirements and employer policies handle any hazardous materials safely and in compliance, uh, participate in training. It's it's redundant, redundant, redundant. But literally after reading all of this, like there should be no question as to how you know we what? are supposed to operate. I'm actually really happy though that we went through this because now I know I don't have to change around my record keeping course at all because all the stuff is still there, <laughs> which is awesome. I, I, I'm, I'm actually really curious as to why they've they've done this. Because again, not much of the information is new. The stuff has been there. It's been on the website for a very, very long time, all over the place, as you can see in their references with the links, and it'll take you to there. Why do you think they decided to do this? Any speculations? You just see how user-friendly it is, maybe. Trying to make it more accessible, as Fran said a couple times. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's it. I'll take that. Well, they have... Um some rationale here. We talked about uh, them saying they want to be less prescriptive, protect public perfect, safety. Um, uh, they were drafted with the client in mind. A client outcome statement will help clients understand what to expect from their massage therapist. Mm -hmm. uh, the standards are applicable in all practice settings, even those that may be considered non-clinical in nature. Um, RMTs may apply a way that's appropriate. We already talked about that. 
contravening or failing to maintain a standard is an act of professional misconduct. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why they decided to do it. Maybe just to make things a little more clear, more streamlined. Well, I mean, if you have to do stuff like that anyway for like all the COVID shit, you might as well just kind of go in and, you know, and clean it all up. Yeah, I don't see anything wrong with the draft as it is, to be honest with you. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think I think it's good. I think what they've also done is taken some of the standards that were three or four standards and putting them into one. Yeah. So, I think it just makes it much clearer. What I like about it is they've got the links, like you've mentioned a couple times, Amanda, they've got the links to so many things that people can't say, I don't know where to find it. That's the biggest yeah. thing that I hear from everybody. Where do you yeah. find that? I'm kind of like the go-to for my friends. Where do you find this? And I send them the link. We just stole Chris Semenik's job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's going to have nothing to do on Facebook anymore. He's going to be like, what fucking links can I drop? They beat me to hell. Well, here it says here, like they've asked for our feedback, right? So it says for each draft standard, um, this is what they want us to consider. Let's is just it, send them the podcast. Is it easy to understand? Um, if it can be implemented in practice and includes all relevant expectations. So, I mean, we've pretty much just gone through every one and yeah, shit, man. I, I wish I could remember uh, if I included anything on my strive about this. <laughs> so with our new strive, then we'll all put this down and then we'll put the podcast recording <laughs> dated later and then we'll put this down as complete. What are you talking about? We just did like two hours here. Oh my God. No wonder I'm so hungry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought the expectation when I was discussing this with you, Mark, was that there was going to be a lot in here that was like, yeah. I guess, controversial. That or... is the vibe I got from, because I purposely didn't look at it because I saw people going nutso on Facebook. And that's why I didn't look at it because you told me not to look at it because yeah. of this, you know? So I was like, let's get a true, real reaction here. <laughs> and it's it, it's, and it's it's like tumbleweed, it's not a reaction. tumbleweed and crickets. <laughs> there is There is little to no reaction, but that's a good thing because anybody listening then can feel pretty confident that I don't think the college did a bad job on this. I think that well, the information anyone, is there. If it anyone is, thinks that any the four of us have any value to add to anything, that's dude, the assumption you're making. Dude, people specifically asked us to do this, meaning they wanted to hear our input. There is our input. If you don't like it, yeah. if you don't like it and you are now disappointed and you are going to unsubscribe from us, go for it. Don't take Connor down with us. He's a good guy. Yeah. Concast, Concast, man. I'm still new to the game. Fran, you got to start a podcast as well. <laughs> no, I'll just come be a guest. <laughs> right on. This has been fun, guys. I wanted to originally not even do this over over a podcast. I was thinking, let's get a whole bunch of therapists, level-headed therapists together and just do a dinner. <laughs> dinner and drinks and rap on shit. I think that'll be the next the next the next deal. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to come to Toronto right now, so um that might have to wait a little bit unless we're coming out to Ancaster. Are you scared of Toronto? Am I scared of Toronto? Yeah. Not particularly, no. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man, because there's a whole I don't know bunch, why everything you say makes me There's laugh. a whole <laughs> bunch of people that are. Like, I've had so many people in courses that are enrolled to cor cor in, in Toronto. And they're like, I'm not coming to Toronto. Get, get, uh, get my money back. I'm not coming to Toronto. I'm not coming. Uh, yeah, I think people are like, I, I know a lot of people that are nervous about, I think people are just nervous in general, right? Can't like about it. just the state of everything. And yeah. everybody's taking it a little bit differently. And yeah. Such a weird go. But it seems like um, from what you're doing with the uh, kind of virtual live piece, that seems to be going yeah, pretty it's well. Yeah, not, it's, it's not bad. It's not bad. It gives people the option. Yeah. We did uh, 
our pelvic health on the weekends. We did kind of like a simulcast. So it was pretty it's pretty good. Hard to do without a crew though. You you had a crew with yours, right? Yeah, a little crew. I think the next time we do it we'll have a bit of a bigger crew, but it was a big it was also a big learning experience because I'd never really done it. Do you want to tell everyone what we're talking about? And can I be a roadie next time? Uh <laughs> Sure. Um, we, uh, we had our, our, I had my live course, uh, that was supposed to run this year, a couple of, uh, a number of times and we, a lot of them got canceled. So we decided to make it virtual and I had my brother in who's a producer and he was able to kind of create a really great sort of two day TV show live, uh, experience for people. So set up a, a studio in on the main floor of my house and, flew in my TA and brought in, um, my brother and a body and just kind of spent the the first day, uh, the, the day prior kind of rehearsing things and setting everything up and then just, just went for it. Nice. nice. And, uh, turned out really well, but as I'm sure you've learned as well, it's, it's really exhausting being on camera for that long just being around it too like i i was helping out a little bit on the behind the scenes for the canadian rmt conference and i was there friday i was there saturday i was supposed to be there sunday and i'm like i gotta go guys like i'm massaged out i'm talked out i don't even want to see here think anything massage therapy for the next fucking five days like i'm done with this stuff i need yeah i think it's like the set like the lights and yeah. just being on a set for that long is really like you really understand how difficult that could be and how exhausting it could be if you did that on a regular basis. So. You, you got to send your behind the scene pictures to Fran because Fran does a lot of uh, live stream live stream instructing as well, and you should see the setup that Connor had. It was insane. Yeah, I would like to because I'm working on something right now that I need to get a little bit more fancy. Well, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll definitely send you those and I can put you in touch with my brother. He's in Toronto as well. Oh, so. that'd be awesome. Thank you for that. Look at this. I'm sure if you need something done, he'd be happy to help you. Cool. Nice. Do we have anything else uh, standard or otherwise related that we want to talk about? Oh, I'm good if you guys are good. Yeah, I'm good. Glad to have the discussion as always. Yeah, thanks yeah. for the invite. Um, just on a, another quick point, I just did a quick look at a few questions on the survey and what they're asking is, is there, do you want to comment on a certain standard? And then yeah. is there any part of the standard that they named that is difficult to understand? And if you say yes, um, it'll ask you for, yeah, what, what section is difficult? And then it's a whole bunch of fill in it, not, not type in information, but check marks. So it looks like they're going standard by standard. So what was the first question that they asked? Sorry, the um, very first one there? The first question is, do you want to comment? So the first one was, do you want to comment on the acupuncture standard? And I said, no, because I don't know anything about acupuncture. Do, yeah. The second one was the client care. So I just said yes, just for kicks to see what would happen. Um, and it gives each point, RMT outcome, client outcome, requirement number one. And so you so, check what you want to comment on and then any comments at the bottom. So the feedback, e- even the way they set it up in the fields for the feedback, it's almost, it almost feels like, does like this is what we're doing. Do you get it? And if you don't get it, tell me what you don't get about it. Yeah. Not even so much like, do, do, does it, do you like it? Do you not like it? Do you think it's valuable? Do you not think it's valuable? It's almost like, well, this is what it is. Do you understand it or not? And if you don't understand it, tell me what you think. She was saying it. there's an area for comments as well. So yeah, yeah. I guess you can say, yeah. yeah. But you can actually pinpoint which, which part of it you don't which like. So if I don't like requirement number three, I check number three. 
And then I can go down, please comment on why it's difficult to understand. So it's very specific. See, it's not so it's, exactly oh, but, but why it's difficult it's not to about, understand. It's not yeah. about do you agree or disagree That's with right. it. It's yeah. is it do you understand it or do you not understand it? In we'll other be, words, well, because, we're not changing this. We'll make it more clear for you if you don't understand it. Yeah, but it. that's fair because it didn't really change from the original standards. It's just it's it's slightly streamlined. The standards are the standards. I agree with you, but it's a little misleading when they're saying, "Hey, we want feedback on the standards." Cuz sometimes we want feedback not, on how I'm it's not going to lie. Sometimes when I'm looking at these things and and you look at a draft and then when the draft becomes the final product and you don't see a difference between the draft and the final product, you kind of scratch your head sometimes and at least I do and I think, "Hmm, does the CMTO do they do they just are they just checking off the box that says we serve we surveyed our members because that's what they have to do. They're a fucking organization. So do they actually care about the feedback that's coming through or is it just like the formality of, okay, we got to put it out there. We got to send out the email. We got to give them the opportunity to respond. And okay, we did that. Cool. Or are people not giving feedback? Or it's all yeah. negative and, and they're, they're the same as the Facebook post, right? If you have 15,000 therapists and let's say 5,000 respond and 4,000 hate it and all they do is bash it, then there's the other thousand. Like, does that make a difference where they have to change something? No, because on a ratio of 1,000 to 15,000, not enough people yeah. want to make a change. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. They're not, they're going to, it's like, it's like any feedback, even teachers in school, you get the, I hate you and the, I love you. And you throw those out and everything in between is a constructive feedback. So you have to, I really wonder how many people actually write something that's worth them looking at. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, now all of us are like obligated to, I think. We just did it. <laughs> <laughs> we did it in more detail than anyone else is going to. So, yeah. Well, but I think the biggest point that we discussed was that whole, healthcare team thing. So we could just monitor that and see when it comes out in the full document, has it been changed any to add some clarity? Yeah. You know, like I think. But we didn't really think it needed clarity. We thought it may, we took it the way it's yeah. like align it. Everyone, everyone on the Facebook page, which is not 15,000 people, but they all thought no, it was not. something different. So it's, it's interpretation, right? So does it need clarity and are people still going to go crazy on it? I don't know. Yeah, you would think that if if the college got enough feedback that was truly constructive about a particular thing that they would consider it. Exactly, yeah. And make, and make appropriate changes, not to necessarily the standard, but the way that it's communicated and say, this is what we mean by this statement to add clarity to it. Uh, and it appears that with the spousal thing, the treating the spouses, they added that there yep. was enough kind of stuff drummed up about it that clarity they've received needed, enough yeah. feedback to make a change there and add clarity. So you're right. If, if people aren't giving that constructive criticism in a way that it's going to be well received from a professional organization, uh, then we can expect that there probably won't be a lot of changes mm -hmm. and for me like it that personally i think that it was really well done um for the most part i don't really have any issues with it agreed agreed it's been fun guys if you want to give out any contact info uh i know uh, connor if you want to give a shout out to your courses your web page um your 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 podcast and fran if you wanted to give a shout out to anything as well you guys can go go ahead and knock yourself out uh triple w dot connor p colin c-o-n-o-r-p C-O-L-L-I-N-S.com. And the podcast is The Concast. You can find me on Anchor and all those spots 
on social media under the same handle, Connor P. Collins. I know Fran is... Uh... I'm good for now. Well, when the podcast comes out, we'll decide if I'm going to put something in the comments. How's that? Sounds, All sounds right. good. Sounds good. Right on, guys. This has been fun. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Cool. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace.